This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel? Sorry, no. But angel hair pasta? Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Could uh, Arsenal go for a striker in January? Or could they go for Lukaku on loan (laughs) this summer? What are you paying 100 mil for for Declan Rice if we don't know what he's going to do for a certain team? Is it the English tax? The hijacking. Of Kim Min Jae from Bayern Munich could destroy two clubs next season. I listened to the Dan Bardell episode, yeah, and he was bigging up Tyrone Mings. I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> for know. who? For who? For who? Yeah, yeah. You, you give us Levi Second to John Stones, Dan <laughs> yeah, Bardell said. You give yeah, us Levi Colwell, and you can take Tyrone <laughs> Mings. Mate. Yeah. The way that Chelsea have treated these players. Listen to Tomori talk about Chelsea. Listen to these players. It's not. It's not been handled well. What do you see in your gut as? the most impactful transfer um, from this window going into next season? A bid has been put in, but it hasn't happened yet. But I'll give that a special mention in a second. I'm going to go with... (sighs) Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ripple Effect. Uh, Word of warning right off the bat. uh, We have some drilling outside. And hopefully, due to Spotify's wonderful... Um, ways when it comes to audio, as you all know, uh, we will be able to not have too much drilling in the podcast. But just to say, if you do hear a tiny, tiny bit, which I, I don't think you will, then uh, we apologise off the bat. Welcome back to the Ripple Effect. Guys, you are supporting the podcast so much right now, and I'm absolutely loving it. You always wonder when you have a bit of a break from your YouTube channel and you keep doing the podcast, are people going to be bothered? But you guys seem to be loving it. We're in the top 10 Every week, actually, at the moment. So the pressure's on for my two guests this week. (laughs) We're going to go a bit more general. There's so much transfer news to sort of dive into. And, of course, the ripple effects of those transfers as well. So we're going to have a look at some of the transfers that have been done already. And the sort of the business that's been sort of put in place from some of these big sides. And so in terms of guests, we've we've gone through a lot of guests now. We're on our 34th podcast Mm-mm. and we're waiting to get these two on. And I was waiting for the right moment for it. But I'm delighted. We've got, we've got three of us today, which is great. So we have Cam, a.k.a. Culture Cams, yes. who's with me. I saw, uh, I met um, Cam, when was it, about a month ago with yeah. Harry Panera. We had a... We did a quiz together, which got heated. <laughs> just because just I knew the standard was real, right? The knowledge from Cam was outrageous. Uh, so that was great. And I knew I wanted to have a deeper conversation with you. So mm-hmm. excited about that. And Kweku Afari, my boy Trust from me. ESPN. And we uh, can, can we give an exclusive about a YouTube channel? Can we do that now? Yeah, let's do it. Go on, tell the people. I'm going to start on my own YouTube Come channel on! finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James has encouraged me to do it. Now, I see everyone doing it. I see... Cam, obviously you're big on yeah. YouTube, James, you're big on YouTube, and I think it's just time now, so yeah, 
keep your eyes peeled for that one. Absolutely. I'm so excited about this. Kweku, I think you're fantastic. If you don't know Kweku, uh, me, him, and often debate, but we have other guests as well. We'll be doing uh, ESPN, and uh, we'll be doing that next season as well, which is going to be awesome. But I really love the way that Kweku talks about football. Kweku is a Chelsea fan, and uh, Cam is a Man United fan, but the guys know so much about the game. And again, like I think people quite like this about the podcast so far. It's normally kind of have your two guys, and, and that's it, and... And you might not get different lenses. And that's always been a big thing with the podcast has been just hearing different voices. And that's how you have a better dialogue. And, and that's what we're trying to do here. So if you do have ideas on guests that you would like to, to have on, um, because we've had a couple of people have been on once or twice. But again, in terms of chatting to people that I probably don't get to chat to as much as I'd like to, I think we're kind of in different little YouTube bubbles, maybe. <laughs> Certainly me and yeah. you, Cam. Yeah. But, uh, you know... A good voice is a good voice, so I'm excited to have a chat. Right. If you guys are new to the podcast and you enjoy yourself by the end, make sure you follow. Give us a five-star rating. Keep us in that top 10 of those Spotify sports podcast charts. And let's get into it with our word of the week. The word of the week is reassignment. The act of giving someone a different job or position or an example of this is our department deals with the reassignment of personnel. Layoffs, early retirements, and job assignments will be used... To me, teacher contact demands. That's bizarre. And another uh, definition of reassignment is the act of giving a piece of work to a different person or an example of this. So we're going to go through some of these transfers. But I think the top thing that keeps entering my mind, and I don't know if you guys seem to be spotting it as well, is there are so many question marks over every Premier League team going into next season in terms of their recruitment, how they want to move forward. But also, I think the acceleration of tactics, um, both sort of on the outside, I was saying this to you guys before, it's like the, the casual fan knows football these days. And I think you're seeing that in uh, punditry, both in the mainstream, but also with us, which is the mainstream now. But also, you know, look at Man City, look at Deserby, look at how these teams are playing. Yeah. It is evolving so quickly that you are seeing a lot of these reassignments of players, not only just in terms of one player going to another um, team, but in terms of you needing to see them in a different light. And there's a lot of players that we're not 100% sure what position they're going to play in because positions are changing all the time. Is that something you're seeing, Crocky? 100%. Um, I do think there's a clear distinction where that started, though. And I think that's when Pep Guardiola came to came to the Premier League. In terms of where we see it on our shores, um, you see everybody, it's a copycat league. And I know that he's made it quite clear he's influenced by the Zerbi this season in terms of moving to that 3-5-2 or 3-2-5 formation. Yeah. Um, but now you see when, we're going to talk about it later on, when other teams are signing players and they're trying to assign them to positions, it's very much in the in the shadow of Pep Guardiola or in the in the form of a Pep Guardiola kind of squad or team. So I've definitely seen it. And like you say, the common football fan or the people who create content on YouTube or, or pundits now have to keep up to date with these mm-hmm. modern philosophies because it's ever-changing, it's ever-evolving. And it's good, though. It's good. It means that we are becoming more nuanced as a country when it comes to talking about football and when it comes to our national team as well in terms of England. Obviously, I, I primarily support Ghana, but when I don't support Ghana, I'm supporting England. It's, it reflects in the football that England play in terms of the players that we produce as well as the football that we play as well. I think I think when it comes to positions, we need to maybe even go away from the term positions now. I, I think, totally agree. Yeah, I think it's genuinely becoming roles. It's like a role in your team. And as you mentioned, reassignment. Let's talk about John Stones, for example. What do we? What position is he? 
is he a right back? Is he a centre back? Is he a defensive midfielder? We don't really know. So at this point, it's just his role in the team. And I think every team has players in different type of roles now. And let's say for Manchester United, for like an Anthony, his role and what we require from him is so different from what Liverpool require from Mo Salah, you know? And they're in the same position, Mm -hmm. but the role is so different. So I think now when we try and like in 2023, talk about positions, positions, honestly, it's just about understanding the role of that player. And then once you start to understand the role and why they're actually in that team, you kind of start to appreciate the player a little bit differently. That's that's something I've noticed. I totally agree. I think football is so... So what's amazing, so I was playing golf with my dad yesterday and we were talking about the WM formation, which you've kind of seen back now, yeah, yeah. right? But back then it was, you know, these players, these players were very stagnant. The ball was quite stagnant because it's like huge and wet <laughs> and, and it was harder to sort of get it up there. And in terms of like the evolution of the game, those positions were, so initially you kind of had people in their places and you were sort of moving up quite directly. Then that got, you know, supercharged because the ball's got a little bit lighter, you know, people got a little bit fitter and football was incredibly direct. And as that has continued to evolve, like everything, right? Like technology, if you think of sort of technology from 1930 to 1970, Mm -hmm. like there's a bit of a movement, but if you go from 1990 to 2010 like it's outrageous and then even more so now you know we're talking about this podcast started recording with an ai (laughs) little (laughs) robot dude saying uh, podcast recording (laughs) so that that leads us to coming all the way back to this wm but it's seen in a different way because it's not like oh we've got those guys up there because we want to get the ball up there quickly Mm. it's because we're so technically brilliant that we will make our way up there at some point because you know people dominate the ball these days so with that in mind I agree with you in terms of the idea of even even a position it's it's too sort of base to go that's the formation because Mm -hmm. it's in possession out of possession and also I think I think we'll certainly talk about it easily with uh, Arsenal in terms of the squad building there you can't play one position anymore. No. It's not really you're you're not functional within a squad if you can't play two, mm-hmm. three, four positions. And fo- now. Football now lends itself to that in terms of how multifaceted these players are, and also the amount of substitutions that can be made. Football is becoming way more tactical, and it's been pushed by these these incredible managers that we've had the privilege of seeing in England, but have shaped world football. And it's now, like you mentioned, Cam, players don't just have a specific job; they have a have a they have a jurisdiction to do everything on the pitch. Otherwise, they're not valuable to players. If you look at Pep Guardiola's Man City team, they have to be able to do everything. They mm-hmm. can't just be specific. You can't just be a DM. You can't yeah. just be a right back. You have mm-hmm. to be able to do everything. And if that's the trickle-down effect, and that's affecting football... Or the, or the ripple effect, quickly. Come on. <laughs> there we or go. the ripple effect. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> if, that's the, if that's the ripple effect in, in English football, then it's only going to get more and more nuanced. And I think that we take things from other sports as well and if you look at basketball for the longest time maybe the last like five or six years it's been positionless, positionless football yeah. football will get to that stage where players will be so flexible and so fluid that you won't be able to define them by positions and I feel like we're a generation that have been greatly affected by games like FIFA or Football Manager where players have got specific positions yeah. that will change in the next five or six years That's so if someone doesn't I don't, I don't, I'll watch any basketball documentary you can throw at me but mm-hmm. in terms of the sort of day to day tactics of basketball just to pull at that thread a little bit more in terms of being positionless that so for me in terms of you know 
my understanding of basketball is you'll have different players that are different sizes mm-hmm. for different roles. Is that is that just leaving the game now? I mean, now you've got like bigs, for example. Like back in the day, you had like Shaquille O'Neal, for example, who give, give him the ball in the paint, let him dominate his man and he'll slam dunk it and whatever. But now you've got bigs pulling out shooting threes you've got small forwards running the point like everyone can do everything and it's it's required to as well so i'm a big basketball fan so like why is that then you know so is that because just the general competency of all of them is the Mm -hmm. same so height and size is not as important anyway i think i think data played a big part in it um obviously you know we talk about pep guardiola how he's kind of shaped the league they credit Steph Curry, you know, to shaping the league, the way he shoots threes. And it started becoming a game where it was like, simple as three is more than two. <laughs> three is more than two. So now everyone's kind of go that mold, like shoot three, shoot yeah. threes. And now the mid range, for example, is now called a bad shot, like a low percentage shot. When if you look at Kobe Bryant days, Michael Jordan days, that was the cash money shot. Yeah. So now it's just so crazy because of data and how much numbers and these kind of things play a part in the game. Everything kind of just changes. And I think it's the same thing in football as well. Like mm. football is data, data obsessed now, you know, and there's certain areas like I've seen certain things like when teams are preparing for other um, for the opposition. And it's like. In the 34th minute, this team tend to this. and It's crazy how yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. And it just affects the way you build up. It affects the way you prepare. And that's just the way the game is going at the moment. But we can't. how can we complain? Like, the li- life is data now. You know, everything's yeah. data. Totally. So. And it's access, isn't it? There's, mm-hmm. there's so much access to that. You know, I, I, <laughs> there's a lot of this. When, when these players come, when players are moving about, there's a lot of people that obviously don't know about these players, myself included. Mm-hmm. So... Me being able to go to Y Scout and there's and there's several other brands are available that, <laughs> that you can go and watch and see how they have performed mm-hmm. over the last you know several years now. Mm-hmm. That access to that data means that that those sort of um, longer cycles of you know long ball hitting it into the corners and then changing that up to tick attack happening over mm-hmm. three four years is happening within a season and, now. and also globalization as well this is a multinational league and if you re- refer back to basketball those best players in the league are from serbia or they're from africa or they're from greece they're from different places and those different influences and being having those experiences of different cultures mm-hmm. will definitely affect the game that's what's happened in football when you had foreign coaches coming over to this game and or come over to this country and influencing the game and bringing different facets of, of culture as well as mm-hmm. tactics it means the game just becomes more expansive and it becomes a better game for it mm-hmm. and I think that's why England now I'm not saying England are winning the World Cup or England have been doing we've been doing better you, you know say that. England, <laughs> England have done better in the last couple of years but I think when the, there was like the foreign input into the Premier League I feel like the national team still were kind of like no 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 we need to do what we we know 442 sure. this is the way it is but now you're seeing Gareth Southgate take influence from Klopp he's taking influence from Pep he's taking influence from whoever he can and he's open about that and I think that's what is allowing England to move to the next level like we should embrace the fact that there's all these foreign players there's all these different influences before I just think it was a little bit like all right yeah that's our Premier League but this is our national team. But now I think there's a little bit more of a mix between the Premier League and the national team and England are kind of seeing the effects of it. I, t- I totally agree. And I get the sort of, I, that's how I feel about this podcast as well. Because I, I think what I've seen over my time in sort of online media is that if you shut things out, if you think, oh, that will go away. Or like literally my journey was 
I could see TV was dying. Mm. And so I was like, oh, I need to get online here. So then, but then when you see things like TikTok or whatever it might be, some people go, no, 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 no. That is so dangerous. Yeah. It is so dangerous. I'm, like, guilty. I'm you're guilty. You're so much better, but you're so much, you'll be so much uh, higher up in terms of your knowledge and just your network in, in life. If you, if you, you know, look, to this and go oh wow you seem cool mm-hmm. uh, let's talk mm. that and that's that's the same with football as well i think being open to new ideas is interesting but what's what's interesting when when you look at say football youtube is everyone's trying to be in front and that's that's good but what what i think's coming back to the, this transfer window which I've, i'm finding so fascinating is that i think these managers know that know this too mm-hmm. and so i think they're thinking you know, what is the sort of alchemy that we need? What, you know, they're all in the lab. They are all sort yeah. of looking to sort of cook something up for next season as the world gets quicker, football gets quicker, changes get quicker within those games. And like you say, I think there's the next layer to that is we are going to see severe changes in formations mm. within the game. Like, and 30 minutes in, I think. I think that's, mm. I think when we're looking at, at what, Klopp's trying to do with Liverpool and how they're going to kind of change. You've got a lot of players and coming back to the sort of the positions and roles. I think uh, there was a great article from Art de Roche. I don't know if that's how you say his name. Is that how you say his name? From The Athletic. Yeah. yeah. If it's not, I apologise. But he was he was drilling down on the idea that, say, Kai Havertz is quite a confusing transfer, I think, for a lot mm. of people, right? But what they're doing here was with the, the players and Arteta, he's spoken previously about sort of, I can never say this word, specificity. <laughs> being specific in terms of what people can do are, are sort of around the pitch which sounds sort of counterintuitive to what we've been saying in terms mm-hmm. of needing to be a bit of a hybrid but what that means is that in terms of players that you're going to bring in okay profile's important in terms of like the age and so in this article that they were describing how that first year with Arteta he brought a lot of young players got some of the old guys out the next year it was more um, you know, the Odegaards and Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko players who are sort of mid-20s, but good to go and to kind of step up. And now they're sort of similar, you know, in that vein because they've been able to get in the Champions League. But the thing that matters now isn't the position that they play, it's the attributes they have. Yeah, 100%. And Pep Guardiola's talked about that. It's so interesting because, like you say, it might, it might go against everything we said in the first 10 minutes of this podcast, but he talked about how... Man City needs to get better in both boxes. The build-up play is build-up play. He's already set that. There's a reason why he went and got Erlen Haaland after winning the league. There's a reason yeah. why he's signing all these centre-backs. Yeah. They, he, they need to win their duels in their box in terms of defenders and to score goals. And as complex as football's become, when it comes down to it, similar to basketball, you give the ball to a player that you want to score the basket and they score mm-hmm. the basket. So it can, it's a beautiful blend of like this complexity when it comes to these tactics, but also the simplicity of football. You've got to score a goal, you've got to not concede. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's at such an interesting place right now. And you see it with the top teams of the world despite the fact that we thought football was going to change in terms of false nines, um, especially when Man City won the league in 21-22, you see all the top teams now trying to find that striker who can score them 20 goals. Like Arsenal are in that, in that, we're going to talk about it later on, I think Arsenal are in that space right now. They need to go and get a goal-getter that can mm. get them that 20 Premier League goals to push them over the line, despite the fact that Arteta trying to build something more nuanced further back. Like football's, if football is just like fashion, it goes round and round. Once upon a time, everyone's saying, oh, don't wear flare jeans. <laughs> now yeah, everyone's wearing flare jeans. Yeah, then it was yeah. skinny jeans. Why are you wearing skinny Then yeah, everyone yeah. was wearing it. So like, it's, like, it's like fashion. As you mentioned, there was a point where nobody wanted a goal scorer. You know, everyone had to be a false knight. Oh, my, my striker's got to be able to link up, drop in midfield, Firmino style, Martial, all these type of players. 
Then Erling Haaland comes along, scores 50, 60 goals. And everyone's like, um, where's Vlahovic, uh, Oshiman? We, we, now everyone wants a, a target man kind of nine. So the yeah. game does change. But I do think, as you mentioned, profiles are so important. Like That's why like even when it comes to these... There's a lot of signings, as you just mentioned, with um, Kai Havertz, for example. And I think it's similar to Mason Mount. A lot of people are raising their eyebrows like, but what is he... These managers now are looking for certain things. Can you run? Can you pre- like? It's it's very specific to you their have tactic. Have to take in context Exa- for these signings. Exactly, right? but the the only fear that I think the football fan can have is that because managers sign so specifically to the profile of what their needs are, if they were to get sacked, you do then to kind of have a kind of a team where it's like, <laughs> yeah, hold on one second, yeah. that was designed only for this manager. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's QPR, bro. like yeah. you, got, you might not know enough about it, but we have been possession-based yeah. team yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for a good few years now. And and now we've got a manager in Gareth Ainsworth who is known for having 22% possession. Yes. So I'm sort of going into this, I'm going, what, what are we <laughs> going to try and do here? But you're right. I think, you know, having those mixes is is important. And also I think you need a squad now. You need 22, 23. And if you've got people with more who are hybrid and can play different positions, that again kind of gives you more flexibility. And and what you're saying about Haaland, fullbacks is interesting as well. Fullbacks were everything 18 months ago. Literally. Yeah, yeah. literally. And, now, and now they're all inverted. Yeah. And now they're all inverted. Now Trent, Trent is inverted. Cancelo's in the... We don't even know where yeah. he is at the moment. Yeah, we're living in a world where Robert, Robertson's done nothing wrong. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I'm looking yeah. at the team, I'm thinking, I'm not sure he's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's it, it moves so quickly. But that's yeah. why we're in a beautiful stage of football because things are constantly evolving and the way that Klopp won the league two or three years ago is very different to the way that the team's going to win the league next season mm. will win it and the way that Arsenal play football is the way, very different to the way that Man City play football despite the fact that Arteta is a pep disciple it's a it's just such an interesting blend to watch. But at the top of it, you have Pep Guardiola, who seems to be ahead of everybody else. And because he's got infinite funds to spend, mm. he can go and bring in whoever he wants to bring in. But, but i got a question, though. Do you think it's kind of taken away a little bit of the enjoyment yeah, of the yeah, game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I do think, as you mentioned, the casual fan, we all know, everyone now knows tactics and stuff. But you tend to like sometimes walk away from a game talking about the positions, the roles, the formation, the tech. And I'm like... What happened to talking about how good this player is, the skill that he did, the goal that he scored? I feel like we walk away from the game now like 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 brainiacs, you know, yeah, like we're sure. all like yeah, 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 but yeah. I do kind of think it has a little bit taken away from the enjoyment of the game. Like the the way Fergie teams won leagues or the Jose teams, like the Jose Real Madrid teams and the way these teams used to play were just exciting for me, you know? Like to be fair, even like Liverpool's Klopp, um, Klopp's Liverpool, sorry. But I feel like, don't get me wrong, Man City are amazing they're, they're, and Arsenal are great to watch as well. But I do feel like sometimes we just walk away from them games sometimes just... It's clinical. Know, it's it's just, clinical. It's yeah, the, the, yeah. the chaos has been taken out of it. And I feel like after the 06 That's World true. Cup, the individualism went out of football. And mm-hmm. that was like... Sorry, what, which, which World the Cup? The 2006 World Cup. That was the Zidane World That was the last one of Zidane. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Last one of like Prime Ronaldo. Last one Prime Ronaldinho. Mm. Like individualism was at its peak at that point in football. Pep Guardiola comes to, to Barcelona in 2008. Mm. And then you see a more homogenised version of football mm. where players... They have personalities and you have the Messi's and Ronaldo's, but everybody kind of is beholden to tactics and everyone's mm-hmm. beholden to, to the manager. It becomes a more manager's game. And mm-hmm. now yeah. when you see football, 
the biggest stars of football clubs are the managers. Said, when when, when Liverpool can see the goal, they're not panning to Van Dijk, they're not panning to Mo Salah, they're panning to Jurgen Klopp. Mm-hmm. Even the way the TV covers it, mm. it's the, the managers are the superstars, they're the spokespeople of the clubs. And as a Chelsea fan, now having gone through so many managers, you see how important the manager is to a football club because they are the outlet and they are the voice of the club. Well, Cam's, you did a video on that, I saw that, yes. where it's like, you know, are these managers, are the managers the main characters? I think they... I think they always have been to to a point. The scrutiny is is just outrageous these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. And you're right the 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 chaos has been lost and therefore there is a lack of control. Uh, sorry, there is a, a desire to have control. Mm-hmm. And so when you're trying to do that, it's going okay, where does the control come from? And it, it kind of comes from two people. It comes from the manager. It obviously comes from the players, but it comes from the manager and it kind of comes from the director of football ab- above them. And so mm-hmm. Those people are becoming more prominent in our mm-hmm. minds and, and in terms of the, the squad building that goes on as well. Because generally, most teams most teams have, are smart and have got a plan. Mm. It's up for debate, I think, t- sometimes with, with Chelsea in terms of what they've done. But it also, sometimes, <laughs> it's, but sometimes it's like, we haven't seen the end of the story yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that could be the case when it, when it comes to, to Chelsea. But yeah, I think, do you know what, the thing that I do come back to is having like, you know, I love the game and, and having been in sort of in YouTube for a long time and in this part of the season every year, everyone does the same thing where they yeah. kind of go, this guy is the guy because, and they use, understandably, they use the logic of, okay, he fits this position, look at his numbers from this league. But every year, this even the, the year that we've just gone through, yeah. Arsenal weren't where we, where we expect them to be. Villa didn't do what we expect them to be. Did we expect Newcastle, Brighton, mm. as I said, Villa to, you know, to make it as difficult as they have done for teams? Did we expect Haaland to do as well as he did? I mean, maybe, but like, there's a lot of players that you think Gar- Koulibaly guaranteed he'll be fine. Kukurea, what season he's had, great signing. There's so many, you don't know until it goes out there. Yeah. So uh, the beauty of it, despite the breakdown of it, is actually that the game, and I say this so many times and everyone will know what I'm about to say, is it, it is a game that is low scoring with mm-hmm. high variables. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the fact that you're playing on a carpet and everyone has, you know, is, is so well drilled, there is still moments that kind of occur with the bounce of a ball, mm-hmm. which yeah. is good. That, that, yeah. that, that's why I've had this discussion so many times with people. For me, football's objectively the best sport because like, the objective of it is to score a goal. And to score a goal is the most difficult thing. If you compare it to any other sports, it's the lowest scoring in terms of, in terms of points or in terms of goals like accrued. But it's so much based in times like randomness and there's so many kind of things that can go wrong for a team or go right for a team and like I say the bounce of the ball could go could go a certain way or could go another way and it could it could change the whole course of history really I've seen I went to watch Chelsea home and away for the Champions League in 2012 and there were so many different moments in that that it could have gone a different way and the legacies of these people would be completely different yeah, yeah. if it goes the other way yeah. if Iron Robin scores the penalty in the final if yeah. Lionel Messi scores the penalty in the semi-final and so as much as football has maybe become more clinical it's still got that that essence of like randomness to mm-hmm. it, and I mean, like yeah. you said, it comes back round. Like there, I saw this great video. I wish I could shout out the channel, but I can't remember it. But it was about um, I think it's Flamengo, 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 and how they're playing now. So they're playing. They there was this idea that sort of Brazil had kind of lost their identity and become quite European, mm. and. Th- this guy, and again, I can't remember his name. Kai, if you can, if you can remember this guy's name, just shout it in my ear. Um, but he's basically he's going random with his players, and the the 
the tactic is to not have position. Mm. It's to go and overload and confuse. And yes, it, it's as simple as an overload, but and it, it allows you to press in a different way, in a mm-hmm. tighter way. And so it might come back round where yeah. like you you'll start to have these like chaos teams in a different way mm-hmm. once again with the ball, where there's that freedom again, where the 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 tactic is to give those people freedom mm-hmm. and to to get over the guys that have that positionalism because if you have positionalism you so for example that uh, you're saying with that three two five i've been th- i was thinking this for a while is like why don't you have your central striker isn't central he just plays on the wing <laughs> like why like to go if you're gonna go round it mm. like, yeah that, so there's always new ideas yeah there's but it's, it's, it's funny because this three two five really started coming to fruition at a certain point of last season. Yeah. You know, Cancelo was still playing. There was still uh, Man City was still playing like how they were playing the season before. And obviously, you know, obviously they had Haaland in there. People were saying, "Is Haaland going to adapt to this team?" Blah blah blah. But it came a certain point. I think when Pep sold Cancelo, called out the team, even called out KDB. He he was like, "Yo, these guys ain't motivated anymore." That's when it all changed up, you know, and and obviously when they had all them fines, um, charges hit to them, you know, oh, I'm going to stay in this seat. It all kind of changed at that point, but that just shows how quickly, like, so when people are always copying the winner, because the winners are obviously off, often Which is copied. what's happening this window. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah the, the winners are often copied. So when I'm seeing everyone kind of shaping their teams or I'm seeing a lot of people do their starting 11s and it's in this formation, the three, two, four, one, I'm like, what if he just changes in the middle of the season? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. on to something. Like, like, I, was, I was chatting to producer Kai, I was chatting to him about it yesterday. Yeah. He's like, he's up to something. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone do the three, two, four. I'm going to go back to four, three, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I feel like at the same time, as much as you copy the winner, everyone's still got to have their own identity, identity. you know? So, One, yeah. Well, I t- again, I know we're going to move on. I saw it with Chelsea in sixteen seventeen. Antonio Conte came in and changed it. Like, we really? lost against Arsenal with the Emirates, and he was like, no, I'm going to what I know, free it back. And mm-hmm. let's be honest, not many teams in England were playing free it back. And then mm-hmm. you saw everybody try to copy everyone it, but it was it. too late. It yeah. was, the ball was already rolling. Yeah. And and like you say, Cam, it's difficult to, to try and, if you're trying to copy the team that's the best team in the league and you haven't got your own clear identity, that you can maybe trip over yourself in mm-hmm. that effect because it's it's difficult to try and do what Pep Guardiola is doing because mm-hmm. only he knows what his long-term plan is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, he, and he has been con- he's built up that muscle being consistently brave enough to try it, mm-hmm. which is easy when you've got great players, but he still does it and, and you've seen the results of it. Mm-hmm. You are listening to The Ripple Effect. This is a good one, isn't it? I can tell already. Uh, we're going to be back after this. Could Declan Rice do a Lampard and become a club legend synonymous with the team he joins after West Ham? Kweku bows his head. <laughs> There's going to be times Havertz is playing right wing. There's going to be times Havertz is playing nine. There's going to be times playing centre midfield. So I don't think it's a specific thing where it's like Havertz and Odegaard are starting, Rice is sitting. I actually think we might be a little bit surprised with the usage of, of Declan Rice this season. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Right, it's time for some ripple effects. Let's go. The transfer season is in full swing with teams preparing bids, swooping in and agreeing terms and even hijacking deals. The outcomes of these transfers are unknown ultimately as to what happens over the long run. But what we do know is how these moves influence the here and now. We can also speculate, of course, what the big transfers mean at the very top and why this always has an effect on the football period, both in England and abroad. There will be a question at the end of this podcast and I'm awful for going, oh, I want to ask you this question later. So I want to ask you guys what has been, what will be the most impactful transfer from the transfers that have happened so far. So don't let, don't let me end this podcast without asking that question <laughs> because I'm terrible for it. Right, let's uh, move into, let's talk about Arsenal. Declan Rice, who's not un- totally announced at the time of recording, but we're, we're there, aren't yeah. we? And um, uh, Romano um, soothed me last night when I watched a, a video. He said, it's just the tiny little detail, so we'll get there. <laughs> so here's the ripple. The signing of Lucas Pacatar in 2022 could doom Fulham this summer and this season also a little bit of homework for everyone if they want to do it and some people have done it on on youtube sort of predicting next season i looked at the i looked at the league and there's just a huge there's just a huge question mark on every single team this year like it's going to be chaos next year but anyway so lucas pacatar signs for west ham on the 29th of august 2022 he then goes on to assist Jared Bowen's winner against fiorentina in the 90th minute of that conference league so because of this they're going to be playing Europa League football next season. So couple that with the Rice money, which is going to be 100 million, 105 million. And West Ham have some serious power in the market this summer. This means that West Ham can tempt players like Jao Polina into leaving despite his club finishing higher than West Ham last season. The spending power alongside European football means that they can not only offer the player uh, more money and afford him, but they can also offer him something that Fulham can't, which is European football. Declan Rice going to Arsenal will also mean that he goes back to his role as a six for Arsenal, it seems. This could be a good thing for England due to that being his position for the national team. So could Declan Rice do a Lampard and become a club legend synonymous with the team he joins after West Ham? Kweku bows his head. (laughs) It worked out for Lampard. Uh, So quickly on, on... Palinia maybe going to West Ham and just general thoughts on West Ham because they got a, you know they got some money to spend now. Mm. How do you feel about West Ham? It's a disappointing season overall up until you know obviously winning a trophy is what we're all sort of fighting for as football fans. I, 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 uh, yeah, know. how do you feel, uh, how do you feel about the fact that you know Declan Rice was going but they knew that was going to happen and mm. they've got some money to to spend. Would Palinia solve all those problems? I'm not sure he'll solve all the problems that Declan Rice will you know, will leave because you got to think about the way Declan Rice carries the ball as well. You know, I don't think Paenia has that kind of ability to carry the ball like Declan Rice. Now, in terms of breaking up the game, busting things up and recycling the ball, giving it to your, to the better players, I think Paenia is one of the best in the league at that. He showed last season. But Declan Rice is synonymous with West Ham. You know what I mean? It's not just what he does on the pitch as well. It's like off the pitch. He He's... He's adopted Mr. West Ham off off Mark Noble to an extent. So it's kind of hard to imagine a West Ham without Declan Rice at the moment. But Paenia is somebody that can definitely come in and make an impact. There's there's no doubt about it. And I think West Ham, when you look at them as a team, 
they shouldn't have been in the relegation zone. No. Their team's way better than that. So I don't actually understand why they were in that position, but I'm really happy that they ended the season strong. But I think the, the, the thing that's really important for West Ham is let's look at an example of a player leaving a club for a massive fee and the, how they spent the money. So you go to Spurs, what they did with that bail money, poor. You know, mm. that, wh- how they spent that bell money is so bad. So I think they need to get in maybe two or three. I don't think Declan Rice, you replace him and say, all right, Paina for Rice, let's go again, boys. Mm. Suchek, for me, he's got to be re- replaced dumb. as well. So you got to get in two, you know, get in a Declan Rice. I mean, sorry, get in a Paina and Ward Prowse or something. You know, like maybe, you know, get something like that. If you get a Ward Prowse and Paina... All right, I think all right, you're 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 good to go, but you got to be really careful. I'd spend money. I guess on the flip side, you look at like Liverpool, what they did with the Coutinho money, unbelievable. Brian yeah. Van Dijk, bringing Allison, Fabinho, all these kind of guys. So but the first team yeah. guys, though, that's a good point. Like, so if you if you're gonna bring in like Allison was undeniably good, mm-hmm. like yeah, that wasn't a concern. Like Van Dijk, okay, people thought he maybe overpaid, and we'll mm-hmm. be talking about that about someone else in a minute. But you knew he was coming in. You knew he was class. That's the thing, I think the thing for West Ham, because there's a lot of teams in that sort of bracket mm-hmm. of West Ham, Villa. I think you still keep Newcastle in there for now. Mm. Um, a lot of teams in that sort of mid-bracket where with West Ham, in terms of them growing as a club, obviously that money's great if they spend it well and mm-hmm. continue to build. But what is continuing to build for West Ham? Like, Is it kind of what happened with the season? Okay, they finished, I don't even know where they finished. Well, they finished like 15th, yeah, let's say something right. like that, right? Yeah. But what's really the difference between finishing 15th and 9th? Yeah. What's most important is staying in the Europa League, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's it for West Ham. That They've been on a couple of very, very fun and exciting European journeys. And I think for West Ham fans, they've got used to that. You've got a taste of it. Mm-hmm. And league football towards back in the season almost became secondary. When they knew they weren't going to get relegated, it was all lies in the Europa Conference League. And they've effectively put all their eggs in that basket and it was a risk because if they lost that final then you would have looked at the season very very differently and the the, the subsequent uh, repercussions of that would have been different but they won it and and good for them but and like you touched on I want to talk about the midfield in terms of the makeup of it you can't have a uh, Paulinho in there next to a Suchek you need, you need a ball player in there and Declan Rice despite the fact that he's going to go play this as number six for Arsenal he can play football he can play football Suchek's not that and I know Paqueta plays a little bit further forward um, but Paulinho's uh, he's a destroyer and that's what he did so well for Fulham and he he's somebody that will get West Ham fans on side because he has that dog in him and he's got mm-hmm. that bite to his game and he, what, he matched record for the amount of yellow cards in the Premier League last season, 14. <laughs> and look at his effect as well. He's so crucial to what his teams do. Like when he missed those games through suspension, he missed three games through suspension, mm-hmm. they lost all of those games for them and they conceded, I think it was 10 goals, wow. which shows you how effective he is for, for that team. But West Ham need a lot more than that. And they are going to also... You bear in mind how much money they spent last year and they gave Moyes that responsibility to go and rebuild the squad and it didn't go that well. Mm. I don't know how they're going to go about building the squad this year with all that Declan Rice money. And like you say, we've seen in the past where teams have had a lot of money to spend to rebuild their squad because they sold one of the best players and it hasn't gone well. Aston Villa's a recent example of that with the Jack Grealish money. A lot of those signings haven't worked out really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate this going forward. But they have to make sure that they attack it early and bring in the right personnel if they want to be a team that's competing in the higher I or upper echelons of Premier League. It's not one player. I really th- and Polina. So, just having a look at their stats quickly. So, in terms of the progressive carries you to work mm-hmm. out, uh, Declan Rice was in the top twenty percent in the top five leagues for that. Mm-hmm. For someone who we kind of think is a you know 
I don't know, deep playing footballer because mm. he wasn't just a playmaker for them. Uh, Polinia, he's in the bottom 2%. <laughs> progressive carries, right? Tackles, he's in the top 1%. So wow. he's great in what he's great at, but when we're talking about attributes and yeah. profiles and roles, one player's not going to do it for, for no. West Ham. And, and you might have you might be able to lean on Pakatara a little bit more and ask him to have a bit more freedom, get on the ball a little bit more. But I think I think it's a really good point in terms of James Ward-Prowse, in mm. terms of if you say you have a bit of a double pivot there. And if you think what worked well for Fulham, they had uh, Harrison Reed, who had a mm. great season and was generally not considered someone who was good enough for the Premier League. James Ward-Prowse is kind of similar but better, I think. Maybe mm. not as much of a sort of a dog in terms mm-hmm. of wanting to make those tackles. But you, you've got to be careful in terms of like, oh, he had a good season over there. Let's just bring him yeah. over here because he's, he's going to be pricey as well because Fulham want like serious money for him. Yeah. I think he's wonderful, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see how good he could be on the ball for a team that overall are generally quite functional. And Declan Rice was somewhat the sort of, I don't know, a, a weird antidote to that or, mm-hmm. or he was sort of the shell of him was like oh, West Ham big yeah. oh didn't he play centre-back once yeah well, but he's put him <laughs> in midfield but he's yeah. actually so much better than yeah. that yeah. in terms of those progressive carries then for Declan Rice as he goes to Arsenal how do you see him fitting in at Arsenal and the kind of ripple effect of his his role there because say he sits there mm-hmm. we're not going to see those progress oh, oh yeah. are we going to see those progressive carries because West Ham are probably playing against teams where you know they're coming up against them and having a bit of a go themselves mm-hmm. whereas against Arsenal low blocks low blocks yeah, yeah. yeah. It, lends, it lends itself to what, what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast he needs to be multifaceted obviously he's going to be a number six he's not just going to sit there though this is an Arsenal team that are progressive this is an Arsenal team that if reports are to be believed, the midfield is going to have two eights that don't necessarily want to go the other way. Mm-hmm. So Declan Rice is going to have to do a lot and he's going to have to expand this game, which is only a good thing for a player like that. He's going to learn off a manager that has learned off the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be different to what he did at West Ham. And it's going to so take we're not going to see that West Ham player? No. I, I, think, I think it's weird because we need to actually understand what Arteta wants from his team because we don't know. Is, is, is Partey staying? We, we, is there's it's up and down with that if he's going to stay like if you went into last season saying that Granit Xhaka is going to play in this advanced left eight <laughs> score eight goals yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean leave, like leave that, the yeah. season with a brace yeah you, you would have been like oh crazy do you know what I mean so can he go and fit into the into the Granit Xhaka role I mean in terms of he 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 one one thing I was seeing at West Ham is he was he was trying to arrive into the box late now, you know? So he was trying to add that side of his game to him. Um he was he obviously we know about his ball carrying on the ball. So I don't know if when he goes under a manager like Arteta who demands something different, if that's what he's gonna be able to go do. So I think there's a potential opportunity that if Thomas Partey stays, for example, he, they could be together. You know, he's the one that's going to be going forward a little bit more. Partey will be getting the ball off the back four a little bit more with Zinchenko in the kind of double pivot role they kind of play and then letting the guys do a thing. But it's because of the Havertz signing, you know, people think, mm. okay, Havertz is definitely going to start. But listen, Arsenal in the Champions League, one thing that let them down this season was what? Squad depth, yeah. in my opinion, you know? So they're going to need to be rotating. They're go- There's going to be times Havertz is playing right wing. There's going to be times Havertz is playing nine. There's going to be times playing centre midfield. So I don't think it's a specific thing where it's like Havertz and Odegaard are starting, Rice is sitting. I actually think we might be a little bit surprised with the usage of, of Declan Rice can, this season. Can I ask you a question then? Then what what are you paying the 100 mil for? What is it that you're paying for? Because if you if we don't know what he brings, I know you're a big fan of Jack Grealish. Mm-hmm. You know what Jack Grealish brings. I know mm-hmm. it's a slightly different under, under Pep Guardiola, but 
we know what Jack Grealish brings in terms of like his ball retention, mm-hmm. his ability to progress the ball up the pitch, and it's yeah. it's just it's just nuanced yeah. in the final third of the pitch. What are you paying 100 mil for for Declan Rice if we don't know what he's going to do for a certain team? Is it the English tax? Uh, uh, I, th- I, th- yeah. I think that's part of it. Sorry, I think that's part of it. I think I do you know what I if there was a bit of an injury crisis, I can see him playing Ben White's role. You know, really? Mm. Just not sorry, not regularly. That's not his position. Like, but like we've been saying. Because I could also see, you could see him against, say, say the Man City game. Do you want all these attacking players or do you want to play Declan Rice in in Xhaka's role? Mm. Where you've got someone who's got quality. And let's say, look, he's not really played in that position that much. But if you need someone who's got, needs stamina, get back size, mm. someone who's got that defensive um, world-class ability... Mm-hmm. But you're playing against a team that you kind of know are better than you, mm. but you don't want to totally give up on your like philosophy. Like it can be, it can be suicide if you just go. I oh, know we're just going to be us. Like mm-hmm. that could be dangerous, right? So, it, especially if you focus down that right hand side a lot of the time, which is what Arsenal did, which is actually a bit of a problem that they need to sort of figure out a little bit. I think the bottom line is that he probably will play as a, a single pivot there because I think what you can get with him. And when I watch him, I always say that like, I feel like he's a bit bigger than everyone else. Like mm-hmm. I can't keep my eye off him. I could see him, if there is that work down that right-hand side, I could see him maybe at times even like having that freedom to go, but knowing that by the time it kind of gets back, he can track back. And, mm-hmm. and I know teams are very good in transition, but I just think there's so many roles that you can get for him. So I think he is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I think also, I think here's something that you pay the money for. Is he, and I shouldn't say it, I'll touch word, he doesn't get injured. Yeah. He yes, plays he game after game after game. And so in terms of these hybrid players that can be, Let's close to world class in, in lots of different positions. Mm-hmm. He could play six. He could play in a double pivot. He could play as a box to box midfielder. He mm-hmm. could, could he play as a sort of high. He could play what Jacques. Mm-hmm. I think he could do what Jacques has done with mm-hmm. coaching. He could play. I think he could play as a right sided centre back for them as someone to like carry the ball as well. You could see him even doing that Rodri role where he drops back into being mm-hmm. a centre back and then drives with the ball again, almost to create the space that he needs to progress the ball. Whereas Partey's not as much that kind of player. Um, and Premier League proven mm-hmm. and, and has a lot of games under his belt. Leader as well, I think. Yeah. So there's a lot there. Yeah. It's yeah. A, I think it's, a, I think it's a, actually a massive signing for Arsenal as well because as well, if you look at Arsenal, they conceded the same amount of goals as Man United last season or I think maybe even one less or potentially one more maybe. Like, and you consider that all right, United did win. The, funny enough, United won the Golden Glove. De Gea won the Golden Glove, which is madness, <laughs> right? But... United could see the sixes and sevens and fours and threes. So you wouldn't have thought that, but that kind of shows, in my opinion, that Arsenal still conceded a little bit too much, you yeah. know? And you bring in a dual monster like Declan Rice, because at the end of the day, he is a dual monster. If you look at his interceptions, his tackles, his ball recoveries, he's up there with the best. So if you bring in someone like that, and let's say it is alongside Partey, or even, let's say, forget Partey, let's say it's Jorginho in that role, you're just bringing in somebody that's so solid that can yeah. help you defensively. And you mentioned Paina when, uh, when Fulham, when he went out for Fulham, they conceded all these goals. That's the type of effect that I think Declan Rice has in teams. You know what I mean? If he's going to be there, Arsenal are going to be a lot more solid, a lot harder to break through. And then all of a sudden, you're giving so much more freedom to Saka to do what he wants to do. Maybe yeah. Saka doesn't have to track back as much. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, Arsenal are demons in transition. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then you've yeah. got Martinelli, then you've got... Jesus comes so deep all the time. Maybe even bringing in a Declan Rice can allow him. Hey, you just stay. Uh, you yeah. do your your your, your problems up like there a little bit. I think bit he's got more, the so. capability because we can overthink this as well. Yeah, right? yeah. I think he he has the capability just to 
to be that six, but he's got the energy of Declan Rice. So it's he's almost an element of security, you know, for a team. Like sometimes, say Fabinho struggled because they yeah. wanted to press, but if you break that press, you're, you're kind of in trouble. Whereas yeah. Declan Rice is the kind of player that you'd you'd stand up against and you go, oh, I've got to try and get. Pu- oh, I'm yeah. Not really. Yeah. I don't. I don't even believe it when mm-hmm. I'm kind of going to. He's that. I think he's that kind of player defensively because he. If you think of Euro 2020, which is obviously in 2021, he was a real like monster in terms of stopping the opposition. Yeah. And yeah. That gets forgotten about because he's yeah. been in a team that's tr- has had other players around him doing similar jobs. Also, the narrative, like, you know how much I love narrative, James. Narrative-wise, for Arsenal, it's huge because this is a player that effectively, maybe barring Man City, goes and starts for every other team in the Premier League. This is mm-hmm. a player that most teams, he was linked to Bayern Munich earlier in the window. And so for Arsenal to go out and get that player kind of tells you where they're going and where they're at. And it, I know it kind of, they dilly-dallied a little bit. It didn't look like it was going to go over the line and at time of recording, it's still not over the line officially. But for Arsenal to bring in a player of this quality that everybody else wants just speaks to where they're at as a club right now. And Arteta mm-hmm. talks about phase one, two, three, four, five. It'll be interesting to see where this Declan Rice signing takes them in terms of phases because it accelerates not only their progression, but accelerates expectations as well. That's if true, Arsenal 100%. go and bring in Declan Rice for 100 plus million. And they've got Champions League football, haven't they? Exactly. To, and, 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 do you know what, though? I think in terms of like, the PR of the club, and I think it's just a byproduct of, of uh, exciting signings but, or, or you know, smart signings, it feels like as well. You know, it felt rough for Arsenal fans a month ago. Mm. And now you kind of go, you know, this guy, no, Timber, I might yeah. come in here as well. You get a couple of those guys. It does wash away a lot of that negativity. Yeah. You kind of think, oh, okay, you can go again. Because I think that's that's part of the block is, and that will be part of the pressure for Arsenal this year, is that they bottled it twice. They did. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt that I think a lot of people love this Arsenal team. They like, mm. the, like the people, they like the personnel, mm. like the manager, they like the way they play. But it can't. It really can't happen again. No. Like, you need to move forward, right? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I think yeah. the expectation on Arsenal next season is is simple. They got to win the league. Mm-hmm. I think. I think they that's where it's been for sure. Like, because as much as we can say, like, you know, Pep is amazing, and and how City hunted them down, but Arsenal threw it away, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, City had to, of course, do their side of things, go on that win streak. But Arsenal had the title potentially in their hands, and I think they let it go. So if now they look at it like that, listen, we were just seven games, six games away from winning the league. Now they're bringing in Declan Rice, they're bringing in Timber, they're bringing in Havertz. And all right, people might have their question marks over Havertz and stuff, but that's who Arteta wants. And so far in his windows, I think Arteta has been pretty, pretty decent with his signings. You know, a lot of them have been hits. So you've got to trust him with this signing. So I do think oh, yeah. next season, the expectation does go up. The pressure on Declan Rice, I mean, he's never going to experience it. Like, whatever his expression he's had now, it's going to crank up a million times. Look at Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish still talks about the struggles of, of that price tag, you know? And so the expectation of the club is just going to fly up. And I'm seeing, you know, people are talking about Declan Rice is potentially the biggest signing since Mesut Ozil that, they, that they've had, you know? So what you want, he's there that you want, he's someone that you want there for eight years. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's part of it as well as the, the, the continued challenge. And it, and it's a new challenge for them in terms of being able to... Because Europa League, the big thing is well in terms of the narrative is what what is next to the scoreline? Is it a W or is it an L? Mm. And and if you're you're playing against lesser op- uh, opposition in the Europa League, but you're winning, you're winning, you're winning, it's, uh, you know, you can't really go at that. Mm. Whereas in the Champions League, sometimes you kind of, your success is, can, you can be a victim of that. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think that's something with Newcastle as well we should talk about is you're then kind of, you know, that, that sort of um, 10 wins on the bounce it's yeah, but okay. You played 
you know, I don't know, like an Irish team, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. Dundalk. No, you know, <laughs> I, I know someone who listens to the podcast is hammering <laughs> me about that. But Dundalk has popped into my head. So yeah, so in terms of what they want to do, not just next season, but next six, seven seasons, they mm. want those guys to all be around for a long time. Next mm. season is important in terms of the bedding in of it. Mm-hmm. it. It needs to feel like they're still moving forward, yeah. I think, for them, for sure. Let's let's move forward ourselves. Kai Havertz, Kai Havertz transfer to Arsenal will result in Arsenal, uh, sorry, in Gabriel Jesus leaving the club or Eddie Nketiah getting 20 goals next season. You heard it here first on <laughs> The Ripple Effect. Right, hear me out. Kai Havertz won't play as a striker, as we know. He's going to be deployed as one of the two number eights alongside Odegaard, generally. What's happening to Fabio Vieira, by the way? See ya. Bust. He's gone, isn't he? Uh, This change could be seen as Arteta moving uh, further towards a 3-2-5 that Pep made famous last year under the influence of De Zerbi. In a 3-2-5, the striker isn't necessarily needed in build-up and their purpose is almost solely scoring goals. With Jesus always wanting touches and moving to the left, the new system may not cater to his skill set in that sense. If Jesus can't adapt, then Nketiah is a player that would thrive on not being needed in possession and solely relied on in the box. If Jesus can't do this, could he be moved to the wing? Or could uh, Arsenal go for a striker in January? Or... Could they go for Lukaku on loan <laughs> this summer? Oh. <laughs> Love this ripple effect. Producer Kai, great work. So let's let's work our way through this. First of all, Jesus in that setup, will he have to be a bit more fixed in his movement? Yeah. It's interesting, Gabriel Jesus. He needs to figure out what he is and who he is and who he wants to be. I remember when he first came about, the comps were R9. They, they were. Let's be completely honest about it. The comps were R9. He obviously hasn't lived up to that. Nobody can live up to that. No. But during the 2018 World Cup, he was Brazil's striker and he didn't score a goal in that World Cup. And he was asked by Tite, the manager, what position you want to play? And he said out wide. But then when he joined Arsenal, he said he wants to be a number nine. The way he plays, he doesn't play like he wants to be a striker. He's not on the, on the other end of things. He's not in the box, mm-hmm. busting the gut to try and get goals. So Arsenal have got a problem there. And I think that if you're a team that wants to win the Premier League, unless you're Man City 21-22, you need a goal-getter. It doesn't have to be a striker. You need a goal-getter that gets you 20 Premier League goals. You just mm-hmm. do. The maths, that's that's what the maths tells sure. you. And whether that's the output of Martinelli and Saka increasing as a result of having the false nine that creates spaces and drops into half spaces and creates goal-scoring opportunities, I think you need you need to figure out who's going to get you your goals. Otherwise, you're going to be in a bit of... I don't know, it's going to be a sticky situation for you next season. Do you think that we could see constant rotation between Martinelli and Jesus in-game? And that might be the answer. Yeah, I do. I actually think we're going to see a lot more of uh, Jesus wide next season. I think, look, Martinelli is more clinical than than Jesus. Yeah. I don't think is Martinelli necessarily needs to move into the nine yet, but I do think his ambition for some reason I just have a feeling that he will end up as a nine do you know what I mean because he's got this instinct he's got the runs in behind he just knows where the goal is and it's weird because as much as Jesus um, drops deep a lot of chances do still fall to him but he's not clinical he misses a lot his, his, his XG conversion is like really bad you know what I mean so I'm just having to use these, uh, signs, <laughs> these, these you know it's this 2023 you know what I mean yeah so but like honestly like so he's not he's not clinical enough for for the position but one thing we got we got to do say on on a positive note for him is he was infectious last season mm. you know maybe yes. okay after he came back from injury it was a little bit Arsenal fans started looking at him a little bit because 
yo, give us some goals. But that first half before he got injured, yeah, like he, it felt like he was like a soul transformation of that mm. club, you know. So what you mentioned about Tite is actually important as well. Like I remember Theo Walcott went through that problem, and I remember specifically Ian Wright talking about it. Like he said, "Oh, I'm a striker, I'm a nine. and Ian Wright was like wait a second, like you're 27 and you've just decided that you're a nine. You yeah, know, you've been, are you a right winger? Are you a nine? Are you a left winger? And that was the problem with Theo Walker the whole time he was at Arsenal. He never really kind of like said, this is my position. And I'm, I, Jesus, as far as I'm Arsenal, I'm hoping that's not the case. But look, if Martinelli keeps banging in goals, had a great season. If, if Saka keeps banging in goals, Odegaard got 15, yeah, 14, 14 Premier 15. League goals. I mean, that's great output. You do just need maybe seven eight more from Jesus but if Saka can keep continue his growth yeah um, get Trossard as well you, you know Trossard's yeah. got you know that in him a little bit and they have it as well man you're going to have to yeah. chip in with, well, that's with, it. with, with I, I think in terms of those eights yeah. those eights they eights will sort of crash into the yeah, box yeah. and that's actually what you want kind of from from Havertz in terms of that um, non-penalty XG um, it's interesting here so uh, Gabriel Jesus is in the Premier League last season Jesus uh, is non-penalty XG was 13.2 and he scored 11 goals. So correct, Cam's well done. Pressure was on there. But I think what I think Woo. the point is that at the elite level, you know, you say look at Harry Kane. He, you know, they exceed their XG a lot of mm-hmm. the time because they take those chances. What is interesting with Eddie Nketiah? Because I think in terms of profile, you would go, yeah, like he is that generally has that composure. He is a proper striker. He does want to just be in the box, and that all does fit quite well. Which I, I think at least makes him useful in this mm-hmm. squad. But his XG was non penalty XG was eight point two, and he only scored four goals. Yeah, actually, the, I even recall um, a few games. I, I might have been Villa. I think it That's pretty might have even been Man United. He 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 did yeah, he, he did, a few score, and he did got one. Yeah, yeah he yeah. did miss a few. So, but you know, with Inketia, in like he's still in that position where every single thing he every time he touches the ball, he has to impress. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. when you're under that kind of like feeling, yeah, you can make mistakes. Like everyone That's is true. still watching. I remember he he scored like six goals in like five weeks or something. Yeah. But it still always felt like. When are you gonna be? Well, when are you gonna mess up? Well, and he banged, come out he the, banged the brace against you guys, yeah, yeah. And, but he did miss chances as well. And yeah. it just there's always that kind of thing of Enketia where he doesn't give you the feeling of him being the guy. Mm-hmm. It just is. There's something. There's something missing. There is there. something missing. There's, there there yeah. is something missing. And I don't know if that's us being fair or not, but mm. there is something that is missing there that you don't back him to go and be your starting striker despite the fact that he's probably the most natural striker out yeah. of everybody at Arsenal at the moment. What I will say about Kai Havertz is when I heard this eight talk. It really confused me because I look at this Arsenal team, not tactically, but just in their essence, they should take inspiration from Liverpool. And Liverpool were a team that chased Man City for a long time before eventually getting over the line. And their goal-getters were their wide men. Their goal-getters were Mane and Salah. And Firmino was happy to drop deep as a false nine and create goal-scoring opportunities. I think Arsenal have got that. Martinelli and Saka are versions of that. People who can score goals. And then you need a false nine who can drop deep and create that. Kai Havertz, for Chelsea, as frustrating as he was for Chelsea, he can play false nine. He can do it. We just didn't tell him he was a false nine. We told him that he was an auxiliary eight or he sometimes played out wide and we didn't really give him a proper position. But I saw him play against... Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League second leg one of the best false nine uh, performances I've seen that first half was incredible he can do that for Arsenal he can do that better than Jesus I think for Arsenal in terms, of, in terms of dropping deep and creating for those wide players more willing to do that whereas Jesus like I said is a bit confused he doesn't know if he's a striker false nine or a wide man do you know what is a fair point if you look at what I loved about Arsenal last year it was just fluent like yeah. it was the same team the same team every week uh, generally and but they do it so quickly 
you can't stop them anyway, right? Which is what, you know, good pep sides have done, what Arteta's obviously trying to kind of employ a little bit. Chelsea, you know, different team every single week. Yeah. So that chemistry is crucial. You know, you've seen that, I think, with Liverpool. It's like you take one or two pieces out. You know, there, there's there's papers on this. It's like you take one cog out of a machine, like it's a problem. So kind of the other way around, if you know, if you can close your eyes and you know where everyone is on the pitch all the time, that's going to allow you to do things more quickly. And and that could be, a, a, you know, a place for, for habits. And again, in terms of that interchange, could you play Havertz and Trossard and swap them all the time? And it's, again, it's more about sort of understanding positions and, and swapping them around based on that freedom to go and attack. But then when you haven't got the ball, okay, get yourself back into the right kind of shape. So I think you're right. I'm intrigued to see how Havertz gets on. We've got to touch on Lukaku there. Do you, do you think they need... Can Arsenal win the title without buying an out-and-out striker this summer? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I think, I think there are can. enough goals there. I think there's enough goals. If we're looking at trajectory, there's no reason why. Why should we think that Saka's not going to score more, or why should we think that Martinelli's not going to score more? You know. So I, can I, I'm. Can't answer that question. Yeah, go on. I think with Saka, I love Bukayo Saka. I think everybody loves Bukayo Saka. I think we've seen his ceiling. I think that Saka's, Saka's a very, very, very <laughs> good player. He will become world-class just because he would have done it for a long, uh, more amount of years. But Saka scored 14 league goals. I don't see his output increase into, what, 17, 18, 19, 20. Whereas you talked about Martinelli. He gives you that sense that he can pop off in the season and give you 22, 23 league mm. goals. Whereas Saka will consistently be at this level. I don't know what more he can give you. I mean, you. that's a great level. No, oh, mm. I'm, I'm not denying yeah. that. That's a great level. But if you're relying on him to increases output to mm. give you more goals so you can go and win the league I don't think he's going to give you that I think the, the exponential growth has to come from Martinelli who will, who has to, to give you five more goals do you want me to check your next G at you I'm going to get you in trouble go on, right? go on. Uh, non penalty XG 9.1 uh, 9. Mm. goals 14 mm. yeah only two of them penalties yeah yeah fair fair So <laughs> fair. I, can't, I, can't, I can't argue that that's but uh, I guess what you're saying is <sighs> Why is his can his XG get up to Gabriel Jesus's? I like yeah. and, and maybe there's yeah. a way of working that out, and maybe that's something they're going to kind of yeah. road they're going to go down did, a little bit. He did score a few bad. I think yeah. I think he's awesome, and he's twenty. Oh no, he he's amazing. I don't want to I don't want to no, paint it out well, as if I don't love the guy exactly. I know the intro. I know how the intro is cut off on this podcast. <laughs> but, and you're in trouble. But so. he's a, he's a very good player. But in terms of where he can get to. And it's not all about output, it's about what you contribute to the team. But when you are those players, people are just looking at your output. Let's be honest. No, I do I do understand what you're saying. Like, look, before this season, I was kind of like on the boat where I, like, I don't see Saka becoming an elite winger. I was in that kind of boat. But this season, I was like, okay, wow. You yeah. know what I mean? The guy, the guy is doing what he can do. And I, I just think... When I see him on the ball now, he's getting that superstar factor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Players are backing off. I remember Man United um at the Emirates. Luke Shaw, I was like, mate, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna happen. you're gonna run off the pitch in a second. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. we'll, like we'll, they're backing off him <laughs> so so he's much. all alone. He looks so alone. <laughs> yeah. So like Saka's now getting like teams are coming up to him um, two, three, you know, he's getting that kind of superstar attention. So when you do get that, naturally when you get that respect, I just think you start making more damage. You start believing yourself more. You start getting into positions where you may not have got the season before. The season. So I just kind of look at them. And, and the reason why I say they can win the league is because I keep saying it, but 
they were six games away, man. Mm. They were six yeah, games. Yeah. And, and I don't think they didn't win the league because of goals. They didn't win the league because one, they started conceding way too many. Mm. Two, maybe can people can say complacency. They bottled it or whatever. Squad depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't down to a lack of goals. You know, the fluidity, as you mentioned, of Arsenal. I actually enjoyed watching Arsenal more than any other I team. I think they were, yeah, yeah, them yeah. and Brighton are two. Yeah. So I think they can do it. It's relying on Odegaard to hit those numbers again. Now, that's, that, the, now, like, see, that one is more... Debatable for me than Saka. Can Odegaard score fifteen no, he, again? If he's if it's Odegaard for the next lot, five years, I'm going back to Effie. <laughs> <laughs> no, if Odegaard for the next like, Odegaard, I have to admit, is my favourite non-Chelsea player. I, I think love, he's I love incredible. Odegaard. If he can continue to score fifteen goals a season for the next five years, we're talking about a Premier League all-time great. That's if, like Frank Lampard. Yeah, yeah, though, that's yeah. like an incredible. And Arsenal will have won a couple of league titles. Mm. I don't think he gives that output. I think his his ceiling is probably 10, 10 to twelve, maybe mm. on a, in a really good season, but fifteen. There was some games where he bailed Arsenal out. Mm. I remember the Wolves game before the the World Cup break where he scored a brace. Mm. It's like, oh, this guy is. I think is he on steps smoke. up in those games. Like uh, everyone was terrible in the back end of the season. He was one of the few that was actually okay. Yeah, and yeah. I know because we've gone down this road, and it's not all about XG. But just to finish this one, <laughs> last one I'll do probably. Uh, his non penalty XG was ten. His goals were fifteen. So again, as a twenty three year old, mm. you know, I think we forget all of that. I have to say, and I like Lukaku. You know. As a loan, I like You're it. You're pushing this one. Go and explain, like it. explain it. Because in terms of someone who isn't really a hold-up man, and I don't think they need a, a hold-up man, and Lukaku gets wrongly kind of categorised as that, has he lost a little bit of pace? Yes. But has he still got that size and that ability to roll? Like We've all seen that Jamie Carragher video. He loves, <laughs> he lo- he loves to roll those players. In terms of a more constructed way of creating chances and him being there, I like it. In terms of a bit more size in that team as well, higher up the pitch, I like it as well in terms of those strikers. I I wouldn't if it happens. I I would re I like Lukaku at Arsenal as an option, and he might not start all games. I, but I don't think he thinks he can start games anymore. You're talking to a Chelsea fan, the main United fan who've seen it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That ain't it, man. <laughs> not it. It. That's not it. That's not it. He's I not think it. can't we see can it. Get, man. We can get caught up in the like we're giving Kai Havertz a pass for a terrible season at Chelsea, mm-hmm. right? Lukaku's had a bad year, yeah. granted, right? And last year, obviously, was bad too overall. But even at that first game against Arsenal, he was a bully. Yeah, unbelievable. Right? Yeah. And and previous to that, he has scored goals everywhere he's gone. Mm-hmm. So I think, look, on this podcast, we did a great one about Serie A. Nima from the Italian Football Podcast was saying that this is a guy who's, who was playing first in football from 16 onwards. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he's a little bit shot. But I think in a team that that will be up against low blocks... I think if you, if he gets his confidence back, there's a goal scorer there. I think the emotional scar tissue is just a bit too much in terms of the, it didn't work for him at Manchester United. It didn't work for him at Chelsea. If you want a player that can do similar things to Lukaku, they're different in profile, but they do similar things. Ivan Tony, if he didn't have all the things going on, I mm. think would be a, a better option than someone like Lukaku. Premier League proven. Sure. He's done it before. And to kick about the lads as well. He's uh, He's got <laughs> yeah, something to yeah. prove. Uh, going to Arsenal and doing it there, I think would be make more sense to Lukaku. But I understand why uh, yeah. he suggested it. I think like, as, a, as a cheeky loan, yeah. I, I could see it. I could see it happening and kind of working, if I'm honest. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, sort of Bayern they, Munich. They can Man have red horses if they want. Sorry, mate. Red horses available if they want. <laughs> <laughs> he works hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kim Min Jae. So the hijacking of Kim Min Jae from Bayern Munich could destroy two clubs next season. <laughs> Bayern looks set to sign uh, KMJ 
from Napoli, despite Man United allegedly being very close to signing him. Because of this, Man United have lost a key transfer target and haven't been strongly linked to a centre-back since. Uh, this feels like it could result in two things. So you've got option one here, Cam. Man United panicked by a centre-back on the last day of the window. They've just got rid of Phil Jones and maybe hijacking K- uh, the hijacking of KMJ could lead to them signing another version of him, a player that never plays and never leaves. Or option two, Man United don't manage to sign a centre-back and instead keep Harry Maguire at the club. Another Man United player could also be kept because of this, Eric Bailly. He's still under contract until 2024. Another club that could suffer from the KMJ hijacking is Wolves. Napoli are on the lookout for a centre-back and now have now been heavily linked to Max Kilman. They've had a offer rejected already, £30 million, I think it was, for, for Kilman. They've only just lost Nathan Collins to Brentford for £23 million, which I think is a really underrated signing. Yes, and quite an evolution for Brentford. And they could now lose another centre-back. Connor Cody, of course, has left as well. He's gone to Leicester, which I hadn't spotted that one, mm. uh, for £7 million. So if Kilman also goes, Wolves could be in huge, huge trouble next season. Cam, let's talk about Man United for a second. How do you feel if you don't sign another centre-back this season? Because, you know, you've got two good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, is, that the, is that the most pressing area for you to, to, to strengthen? Um, I wouldn't say it's the most pressing area. I think we still need another midfielder. I think we still need a nine and we most certainly need a goalkeeper. Yeah, so... I don't think it's the most pressing area. I think whoever came in was going to be brought in for depth because Varane, he's unreliable fitness-wise. Um, obviously, Lissandro had a big injury, but I wouldn't say he's unreliable. That was just unfortunate, you know. So hopefully he's back in next season. But Varane, he's, his games needs to be managed, you know. Like, you can he play Monday, Wednesday, Sunday? You don't really, you don't really know. So with him, I would have wanted a, a right, right, cent, uh, right centre-back to come in, 100%. And Kim Min-Jae, it looked like it was... It was going to happen. He wanted to come to the club, but with all the stuff that's going on with Man United at the moment, FFP, uh, the takeover news, it, it's it's terrible at the moment in terms of of doing business. And you can't tell a player, "Hey, wait for us, wait for us, wait for us." Like, I've got Bayern Munich waiting for me. Wait, wait for <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, I, I can go win leagues and yeah, go yeah, compete yeah. for Champions League. So we fumbled that one, you know. And it's disappointing because you look at his profile as well. I think he's twenty six, twenty seven years old. That would have been a long-term solution for Varane. And even if Varane slacks a little bit, he's starting. You know what I mean? And I don't think anyone else at the moment who we bring in is going to be that in terms of, well, Varane, if you drop form a little bit, this guy can come in and he's going to start. I think now it's 100% Varane and Lissandra next season. And I do think Harry Maguire is going to stay now. And I I don't know why he would want to stay personally, but maybe financially is great for him and stuff. But... You're not going to play. The Euros is coming. Mm. Let's 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 try and sanction that sale. And even if it means bringing in a Antonio Silva or something like that from Benfica, or it, it brings someone else in that's maybe young, will understand. All right, I'm going to sit on the bench a couple of times. I'm going to play here and there, kind of like how we used to have like Gerard Piquet, you know, when we had Rio and 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 Vidic, like something like that. But I just don't understand why Maguire would want to stay at the club at, at, at this at this particular moment for sporting reasons, anyway. So. But losing out on Min, uh, on Min Jae was is it, for me. That's just just shows what Man United how we're operating in the market at the moment. We're so we're so far behind at the moment. The, the ownership 
situation is a huge problem. Why? Why? On, uh, it's nearly nine if you're months. selling an asset, if yeah. you know, why would you spend money on it? Yeah. What is the point? It, 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 and they're now in limbo because Man United were in a position of strength, and I think this transfer window is almost undoing the good work that Ten Hag done last season. There are questions to be raised about Ten Hag's talent ID. We can have that conversation, but in terms of in terms of a, a footballing coach, they've got the right man in. But they're fumbling this transfer market and they were in a position of strength because I feel like if you're a top team, when you're targeting a transfer or like identifying a transfer target, you look at somebody who could potentially improve your first 11. Mm -hmm. If you're now operating in the place where, oh, he's going to be a squad player, that just weakens your squad. That just weakens your squad long term. Min Jae, like you said, if Iran was to ever drop off, he comes straight into the starting mm-hmm. eleven and he improves your team. Now you're looking at young players, or you're looking at players that maybe a little bit longer in the tooth, mm-hmm. or you're looking at keeping Eric Bailly, yeah. or like it, it just doesn't make sense. And because United took such a long time to get this deal done, it didn't get done. Mm-hmm. And now you're looking at players that don't improve your first eleven, players mm-hmm. that there's a clear drop off if Iran or Martinez get injured. Yeah, and the thing is, like, even if I know Bay is up for sale, but even if he goes, that's gonna be like a two, three million yeah. pound transfer. Like that doesn't. I, I haven't seen Bay at Man United this season anyway. So going into next season, I'm not thinking. Oh yeah, okay, we cleared Bay off the books. Like this is. It doesn't bother me. Like it's yeah, not. It's yeah. not affecting our first eleven or our first seventeen, eighteen. It's not affecting anything like that. So he's not in the picture at all. So the movers are the Maguires and uh, the Freds and those type of players yeah. that you you want to move on and then brings people in and then all of a sudden you're re- lifting the, the the quality of your squad. But people like Eric Bailly and it's these name Tellez and that. Come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's not doing nothing for me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's not moving. Historically, no. though, May not have been so poor at selling players. So, so poor at selling and, players. And buying players. And, and buying players. <laughs> yeah. um, but they just can't shift players for not even profit. Like, you spent 80 mil on Harry Maguire. The loss on that is going to be so substantial. Mm-hmm. He's on such a wedge as well that you understand why he's not he's not actively looking to make a move. Unless yeah. he wants to play for England, obviously, in the upcoming Euros, which I'm sure he does. Then He's not shopping himself out. You're going right. to have to find a buyer for him. And... As a result of that, you've got loads of players in the squad. We're talking about a Wan-Bissaka who, yeah, fair enough, last season he showed bits, but he should not be in the conversation for starting for Manchester United as a right-back. Dallow shouldn't either. This is Manchester United who are going to be playing Champions League football Saturdays and Wednesdays, Saturdays, Wednesdays. There's a lot of work to do with a limited budget. What? And half of that went on Mason Mount, who we're going to yeah. talk about later. Mm. There's not much money to do work it's... and they're, they're going to be struggling next season. But I listened to the Dan Bardell episode yeah. and he was... Bigging up Tyrone Mings. I don't know. I don't, I don't for know. who? Him. For who? No, for for who? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you give us Second Levi... to John Stone's dad. Yeah, like you give yeah, us Levi Colwell and you can take Tyrone <laughs> Mings. Yeah. Right, guys. Uh, you are listening to The Ripple Effect. We're going to be talking more about Man United and Liverpool as well after this. Do you think, like, Mason Mount succeeding at Man United is like really damning for, for, for Chelsea Darwin Nunes is set to pop next season I really really liked what I saw from him what do you see in your gut as the most impactful transfer um, from this window going into next season Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome back to The Ripple Effect with me, James Lawrence Alcott. I am here with Kweku Afari and Culture Cams is here as well. This is a banger. If you're enjoying yourself, make sure you follow the podcast, be it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, right, let's stick with Man United. Mason Mount, he's made the move. I did not see that happening 12 months ago. Did you, Kweku? Like initial thoughts and emotions? Anything? Oh, man. It, that, this one hurts. This yeah, one hurts. This one aches, yeah, this one, this one hurts. So it's not necessarily because I think Mason Mount's the best player in the world because he's, he's not. And I don't think he necessarily fits in the midfield of Casemiro and Bruno. I don't know who your ball player is in that midfield. But... He's a player that came through Chelsea's academy. He felt like proper Chelsea. Um, and there's been players that have left. It hurt me when Tomori left, but I understood it because he wasn't playing first-team football. Tammy wasn't scoring the goals we wanted. I get it. And obviously, Ruben Loftus-Cheek's just left. There's a lot of those mm. Cobham Cubs that have gone and yeah. moved on. hudson Doyle is obviously still a Chelsea player, but it's probably going to move on this summer. Mason Mount and Reese James are the ones. They are the ones. And Reese James at the moment can't stay fit. And Mason Mount had a poor season last year, but he was... He was our golden boy. He was our... And you look yeah, at these... I've said it multiple times. You look at teams like Man United with Rashford and you look at Phil Foden at Man City, Bukayo Saka uh, at Arsenal and Trent at Liverpool. Those players mean more. They mean more. They just do. And like when they score goals, fans feel it more. They get the most chance... And you normally get those deals done. You, you don't. You don't let those players go. It's rare that those players go. Yeah. And I remember Stephen Gerrard leaving. Oh, oh, he was put a transfer request yeah. in 2005. He was supposed to join Chelsea, but he there was a U-turn. He didn't leave, and he ended up being a Liverpool legend. There are points in time that culturally moves me more. And this Mason Mount one for Chelsea, I don't want to be a, a Debbie Downer, but I remember when Chelsea signed Ashley Cole in 2006. And that told you where Chelsea were going and that told you where Arsenal were going. Right. And I feel like this Mason Mount move could signify that if Chelsea don't get their act together next season. Uh, it feels like the... Uh, Off-the-cuff ribble effect coming in here, guys. <laughs> it feels like the, the Tamori sale was kind of the start. Because when you go through all those players and Loftus-Cheek going to Italy, Tammy Abraham going to Italy, um, Tamori having that sort of bravery, I guess, to get, go out there and do it. Um, you've seen a real... What a waste of a probably, you know, once in a, maybe not, but once in a generation set of players that Tammy Abraham could be in a, a top six side, you know, and you might get more from them because they care, like you say. Mm. Same with Tamori, same with, same with hudson Adoy, who if he, I think, had been used differently, that certainly the potential is there in terms of, uh, of, of the player that he could be. And obviously Mason Mount as well, to lose him as well. It, it hints at what you were saying at the start in terms of that kind of globalisation of, okay, yeah, what you, you know, you're brought up here, so what? You're still in kind of an, an asset instead of that desire to, to have some of those players. Because if you go through, you know, if you go through the, the big teams, there's, you know, there's often those guys who mm -hmm. get it and it means you're more. running out. Of it, it makes it mean more. And do you know what it also gives you, sorry, that's right. is it gives you that, um, when it's not going well, mm -hmm. the one that you, so you can go, you can look for scapegoats, but you go, well, I know he's trying mm -hmm. because he's, he's, you know, he's a mank lad or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. like with Rashford or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rashford wasn't, Rashford still got hit up even with all the things he's done <laughs> yeah, in his yeah, life. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think that credit in the bank sometimes can be 
of use as well. 100%. And you just feel it's more visceral when it's one of your players. And it doesn't necessarily have to be someone from your academy. Frank Lampard's an example of somebody who came from a different academy, but he feels like a proper Chelsea boy. Mm-hmm. I think Declan Rice will be that for Arsenal. Um, but like when you see Man City win the league, Obviously, you see Haaland celebrating, you see, but the people that you care about, you've seen the Carl Walkers, you've seen the John Stones, you've seen the Jack Grealishes, the Phil Fodens. Like when, when they come from this country, because it mm-hmm. is the English Premier League, it just adds a little bit, adds a different shine to the trophies mm-hmm. that you win. And Chelsea winning the Champions League in 2021 was made even better by the fact that Mason Mount and Reece James started that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the fact that he's going to Manchester United, it's not just the fact that he's leaving Chelsea, he's going to Man United. Mm-hmm. My, my childhood was Chelsea and Man United going, going at it for mm-hmm. titles. So to see him wear red and when you see those mocked up kits, cats, uh, cans wearing the kit yeah. right now, it makes me sick. I can't lie, it makes me sick. He's home. <laughs> He's home. That's all That's all that matters. Mason is home, you oh, know what I mean? And, and listen, like he's, you know, a lot of people have question marks over the signing. Um, I feel like Mason Mount has gone... So for some reason, he's just become overhated, and now he's become an underrated player, in, in my opinion. I've seen Chelsea fans, and I don't understand it. They're celebrating that Mason Mount has left Mad. the club. I'm like, all right, look. And you mentioned Marcus Rashford about, um, like, you know, when things go well and stuff. Last season, um, before Ten Hag came, Rashford looked finished. Like, he genuinely, I remember the blonde hair. He looked finished. They were saying he was going through things with his girlfriend and contract talks and he looked finished. New manager came in, put his arm around him and said, listen, I I rate you. You know, I I really rate you as a player. You're going to be part of my plans. Let's get to work. And Rashford scored 30 goals, had his best season. We won a cup. We won a trophy. We move, you know. And I think Mason Mount is in the exact same position. Contract talks with his boyhood club. Fans may be turning on his back. But one thing you can say is that I think in the last three, four years of, of Chelsea, Mason Mount is definitely a top three player for, for Chelsea. 100%. He's won the, the, the player of the year twice. He was the assist. He's got the assist in the in the Champions League final. I actually think he was one of the only decent performers under Frank Lampard in the beginning. Anyway, like when there was Tammy and all these kind of, of yeah, course, Reese James has been doing his thing as well. But obviously Kante's in there as well. Kante's always in and out of injuries and stuff. I think Mason Mount, in terms of consistency, was always one of Chelsea's best players. I think just looking at him now, after a bad season, yes, it was a bad season. He had injuries as well, but it was a bad season. But it was a bad season for it, everyone. Yeah, it was a bad season for everyone. And he's suddenly kind of become a scapegoat in and amongst it. And I, I don't really understand it. I think... As much as we say, oh, that person's trying because they're from the academy. At the same time, it goes the other way as well sometimes. Some fans look at it like, he's only playing because he's from the academy. Oh, he's only playing because he's Lampard's son. He's only... And I'm just like, all right, cool. Give me Mason Mount. I'll take that. I'll take him off your hands. And I actually think, yeah... But just from the reaction at how people are saying, oh, bad signing. What am I not doing? Ten Hag's talent ID. Oh, yeah, get rid of Cobham's finest. Yeah, that's what Chelsea fans are celebrating. I think this is going to be a 100% successful yeah, signing. Yeah, he's got that... Mason Mount will succeed at Man United. I, I, I completely agree. And you see, Mason Mount, he goes on the radar, sneaky aggressive. Like, he's had interactions yeah. or, like, altercations with There's the Sancho. Picture, yeah, yeah, of him trying to go at, at us. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, <laughs> he's got that dog in him. And when he gets fit and he gets his body right and he gets his mind right after all of this and he gets paid like... It, 
let's not get it twisted. We live in a capitalist society. My man was underpaid. He was on he was on less money than some of these players that we brought in that were were underperforming mm-hmm. consistently. Yeah. Like how can Mason Mount get paid less than Hakim Ziyech? And how can he sit there and accept it? He can't. Yeah. And so you don't get that deal Especially done. When everyone else is getting a bag. <laughs> yeah. Everyone. yeah, exactly. Everywhere. Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. You look at you look at um, Mason Mount. You look at um he went to Vitesse on loan. I think he scored 14 goals in the in the in the Dutch league as a teenager. Then he moves on to Derby, put part of their promotion push. He was very good that season. Then he has he has been successful at Chelsea in my yeah, he has. He's been successful at Chelsea. So everywhere Mason Mount has gone, he has been successful. Now, I'm a big critic of Mason Mount, I'll be honest, for England. I actually think he's really bad for England, yeah. personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I just think he's really bad for England. But you look at him at club level, he's been successful wherever he's gone and he's he's applied himself really well. So this assumption that Mason Mount is suddenly this terrible player, oh, it's just because he's English and oh Cobham. I, I'm happy. I'm happy to take Mason Mount. He, I, watch out. Yeah. Watch yeah. out. Because yeah. thi- he's got a point to prove. Mm-hmm. So and so that can be so energizing for someone, especially when you're then getting that little bit of love, gets a couple of goals early doors. Also, I think with Mason Mount, I think what gets forgotten a lot of the time and people are turning those up at is that he sometimes plays kind of sacrificial roles mm-hmm. to to help the team. And I think that's what he's done. I, I think he's not been good enough for, for England and he doesn't deserve to start for England. But there have been performances for England where he's been sort of taking players out of the game a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which again, you know, you can you can decide if you think that's nonsense or not. But the outlier with Mason Mount is last season. Yeah. Success isn't linear. Yeah. You're going yeah. to have good seasons and bad seasons. And again, g- apart from a 38-year-old grizzly centre-back who's done it a million times mm. name me a Chelsea player who played well last season and no one and the so fee, it's bollocks the, the, fee, the fee absolutely is bollocks the fee tells you what Chelsea think about it and that's what baffles me if you think Mason Mount is worth 60 million pounds with a year left in his contract then what do you think he'd be worth if he had three years left in his contract mm-hmm. and if you think he's worth that much then why are you selling him why can't you get the deal done probably the bridges the bridge were burnt but somebody like that who is going to be the future captain Aspilicueta has just left Thiago Silva's 50 years old. Mm. Like, Such a and Reece James doesn't talk. Mason Mount knows that he's Chelsea's next captain and you're selling him to Manchester United who you want to be competing for the same things as. It doesn't send the right message. Do you think, like, Mason Mount succeeding at Man United is, like, really damning for, for, for Chelsea? It's damning for the whole idea and concept of the Chelsea Academy mm. because I was here fighting transfer ban allegations when we started playing all these academy prospects and people were like, you're only doing it because you can't bring in any players. And I was like, no, this is something that we're looking to do. Mm. Look at only Reese James, Reese James, Trevor Chalabar are still there. Everybody else. Chalabar will be gone soon. He's going into Milan apparently. Right. I don't, you don't, you don't At know. You've got Colwell coming through. Colwell as well. But, Cole, but, but, but if you hear Colwell talking in interviews, he's it's, not really... it's, it's not in the most yeah, positive yeah, light. Yeah. The way that Chelsea have treated these players, listen to Tamori talk about mm. Chelsea, listen to these players, it's not it's not been handled well. Billy Gilmore was incredible mm. and I don't know what happened to him as well. Mm. It's it's not a great reflection and everybody was saying class of 92, class of 92 when Chelsea won the Champions <laughs> League with all these players. It's nowhere close. Mm. If you're selling these players, oh, Conor Gallagher's still there by the way, but if you're selling these players <laughs> off but again it's, for how long yeah. for how long he's a celebrate asset we tried to sell yeah, him in, yeah. the, in the January transfer yeah. window it just doesn't send the right message and when you've got players coming through in Chelsea's academy they're looking at it like mm-hmm. why would I stay at this club why yeah. would I not choose to go somewhere else where I can probably get first team football because in terms of those barriers as well look I mean in terms of your education quite possibly you know 
your education from eight to 18 is going to be fantastic. Mm. And you know you're going to get decent loan moves and all, all of that. But this new block of bringing in all these youngsters from Brazil and around the world, it, in two ways, it's, it's slightly odd. Because, first of all, you know, you brought these players through. You might as well give them that opportunity. But secondly, if you're going, oh, no, we're going across the world and we're going to get all these guys... They might be awesome, and they probably will be awesome. But you're banking on them being awesome mm-hmm. uh, as well. Look, you can again, you can sell them on, but again, you're creating a new barrier that doesn't totally need to be there. I don't think it's a, it's not a smart way of going about yeah. it. I mean, it's a weird summer for for Chelsea, where they've you know you can say whatever you want, but they in terms of bringing in money, which they needed to do, they done well there. They have done well there. They've utilized you know the the, the money that. Saudi mm-hmm. had got very lucky got, got very incredibly lucky, lucky because I think there's going to be legislation brought in to kind of stem that we right. got very lucky and if you're the first one to do something maybe it's more by design than luck mm. but the, you can't dispute the fact this ownership group have had an absolute mare in their first 12 months owning the football club mm. how a team can go and spend that much money who finished third last year quite comfortably third as well mm. and finished 12th mm. is insane is absolutely insane and four managers if, four, four managers what I will say though we talked about it before football's a manager's game I remember Liverpool fans and there are still some of them screaming FSG out they brought Jürgen Klopp in. Those those talks simmered down. Yeah. I remember uh, Spurs fans, right now they're screaming Levy out. But when Pochettino was the manager and they were doing good things, we weren't hearing that. Football is dependent on the manager that you've got. And Arsenal fans were storming the streets of North London saying Kroenke's out. I read an article the other day saying he's the best owner in sport. Yeah, but yeah. Like, the good managers do, they do cover all that. And Fergie did it for Man United for years and years and years. Yeah. And you know, only notice the warts when they leave. If Pochettino is that guy then he can maybe help this ownership group in terms of their, not branding, but the way they're perceived by Chelsea fans because right now it's pretty yeah. negative. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. It's going to be an interesting year for them in terms of, well, it's going to be an interesting three-year period for them because, again, if we look at the phases of, of, of a blueprint that makes sense to me in terms of Arsenal, in terms of, okay, we, we've got a flabby squad here with old guys that aren't going to do it anymore. Let's get rid of them ruthlessly if we have to. They didn't have the option of the Saudi money, but then we'll bring in youngsters that we think are really exciting. We'll then give the academy uh, products an opportunity to to thrive, which several of them have done. And then you bring in those 23-year-old exciting players. Chelsea haven't really done that. They've kind of, they've gotten rid of their consistent performers in Kovacic, Kante, uh, Mount, those kind of players. I'm sure I'm probably missing someone. They've then, they've been able to sell those guys. I heard uh, Matisse talking about how with part of it, with Mendy, Koulibaly and Kante, three of them being Muslim, that was a real help in terms of them yeah. being attractive mm. to the league, which 100%. is kind of understandable. But to then bring in players that aren't really 22, 23, have proved a little bit, they're wonder kids, mm-hmm. which could go, that can go like yeah. two words, Freddie Adu. Like it doesn't <laughs> always work. <laughs> Those guys might not work mm-hmm. out. Yeah, It's but just it, the stages are wrong for me. You actually don't... Um actually even know when they're going to actually get integrated into the squad you know are Chelsea going to bring them in loan them back out or you don't actually really know I feel like there's a what's the Brazilian Andre Santos right Andre Santos Santos. is he going to be a main feature next season we we don't really know yet and I know Chelsea are linked with a few um, other young Brazilians as well but are they going to bring them in straight away start starting them and be part of the squad I kind of have my doubts about that I do think Chelsea is still going to be active in the market but I do think Chelsea should have I know they tried but losing Mason Mount I think 
the effects of it may be seen later. You know what I mean? I do think, especially as it's a young squad, he's a young player, but he's experienced at Chelsea, you know? And there's not many players, if you're looking around there, that are experienced at Chelsea. Aspie's about to go as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you look at, it feels like, I might be wrong, but maybe Reese James, Kepa, are they the longest serving players? Yeah, well, no, if, you, if you look at a 2021 team that won the Champions yeah. League, the only players that are still going to be at the club when the season starts are Ben Chilwell, Reese James and Thiago ben Silva. Chilwell. And even Ben Chilwell, fans are calling for him to leave. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it's a mess right now. What I will say is that I do kind of like the business that Chelsea have done. And people say Chelsea not signed that many first teamers, but Levi Cole will come back in. It's almost like, oh, the, it's like the Saliba signing for Arsenal. I'm not saying the same level Saliba, yeah. but... No, he, he, I, think he, I think he can Malo Gusto can be. He can be is a great cover yeah. for Reese James who's perpetually injured. Yep. Kaiseido looks like it's a move that's developing quite nicely mm-hmm. and he brought in Nicholas Jackson, Nicholas Jackson up front who who knows how good he's going to yeah. be. He had a good run at the back end of the season for Villarreal but we don't know how good he is. So there's there's bones of it and Chelsea need to strip back that squad. There were so many players and we've started to do that. If we bring in the right players, we bring in the right kind of people that Pochettino wants, then there's no reason why we can't be challenging for European places. I don't think top four's on the cards, though. I think, mm, even like no, I say, though... Don't run from it. <laughs> top four has to be on the cards. <laughs> yeah. It has to be on the cards. What do you, what do you mean? Why is he trying that <laughs> no, one no, there? No, yeah. <laughs> snuck it in at the end <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, odd little full stop there. <laughs> I think, like, one thing Mason Mount, just final line on that, is that where's he gone? He's gone to Man United. He's home. It's that's troubling. that's not a good look, it's right? And troubling. also, the final thing with Caicedo, who I think is an awesome footballer, but you see this a lot, and I've seen it with Brentford a lot of the times, and we saw it last year with Basuma. Basuma, who is probably still a good player, and we could have a real, really good season for, for Tottenham this year. But just because you were good last season doesn't mean you're good next season. So all this disruption, Caicedo could go to Chelsea, Oh, he's different. Can I say something though? Can I say something? He could. I was talking to um, one of my friends about about players that have people that have left Brighton. Not many of them have gone on and done anything, you know. Not many. Lewis Dunk is Brighton's best sale. Like he's the from anyone that's left Brighton, he has done the best. Lewis, not what Ben Ben White. Or Lewis Dunk. You mean Ben White? Don't you? I no, Lewis Dunk isn't left. Lewis Dunk's still there. Sorry, not Lewis Dunk. Um, Dan Byrne. Oh, Dan Byrne. Yeah, Dan yeah, yeah. Byrne. Sorry, the Dan. Other, yeah. The, the yeah. other giant. The other yeah. giant. Yeah. 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 Dan Byrne, I think, has probably been. All right, ben White. He's doing his thing. He had a good season last year. Yeah. The first year was a bit. So let's see. Yeah. Dan Byrne, I think, has been consistent, good signing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you look at Basuma. Graham Potter. <laughs> you know, you look yeah, at some, yeah. some of the people that have left Brighton has been a bit so. Yeah, leaving a, a place of little pressure and and great organisation. Cucurella, <laughs> Cucurella, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That is, <laughs> it is dang, that's what I'm saying. It's dangerous. It's dangerous stuff. It is dangerous. Uh, I tell you what, we give you one sentence on this because we we can't talk about Tottenham for too long because we've got to talk about Newcastle and Liverpool. Madison, very quick thoughts. Quicker. I like it. I like what. Tottenham are doing um, I think Postacoglu was unfairly maligned when he was appointed as Tottenham manager if you look at what he did at Brisbane if you look at what he did at Celtic if you look at what he did in, in Japan and Yokohama he creates this sense of we talked about it before chaos and there was it's it's like controlled it. chaos but his teams are aggressive and Tottenham historically have been a team that don't spend money play good football and don't win trophies Postacoglu aligns with those philosophies um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not disregarding the trophies that he won at, at Celtic but he hasn't won trophies at the major level so mm. 
plays good football. He doesn't necessarily need the most money. He can go and find those diamonds in the rough. He can go and find those players that people don't necessarily love. Madison's not one of those. Madison's been on all of our radars, but he is a player that will bring the vibes to Spurs. And that's what mm-hmm. Spurs are. Spurs are a vibesy team that mm-hmm. don't necessarily win the most, but Madison aligns with the kind of players that Spurs, when I've grown up, yeah. have ordinarily signed. Yeah, I think Spurs need to go. I, I've said it many, many, many times. And like when when they were like um, looking for a manager, I was saying, oh, bring in Steve Cooper. And <laughs> people are getting on to me. I was like, bro, Spurs need to go back to their roots. Yeah. They, they tried to develop this kind of win-now mentality. And it's like, when have Spurs ever been that? You know, Pochettino had them dreaming. Harry Redknapp did a br- brilliant job as well. But then from there, they went with the Jose, the Conte, Nuno. I was like, when did Spurs become this type of team that are boring to watch and have to win now? They've never been that team. So I'm, I like the appointment of Ainge. Bring him in. He's going to make, as you mentioned, make them exciting. And I like the signing of Madison. It's the, it's the perfect club for me, for him to go to. Because I was looking at, James Madison he's actually in one of them the bubbles of like he for me he's a pure 10 you know he's a pure 10 and how many teams are adopting the pure 10 at the moment so when everyone's saying go to a top 14 why did Man United sign Mount when you could sign Madison I don't think he would have fitted I don't think he would have fitted in I think Spurs is a team that he's good enough and their level is I don't want to say low enough that sounds a bit rude but that he can go and be like, I'm going to be the 10 of this team and we're going to build around it. And I think that's perfect for them. He's got the personality as well on the pitch. He's, And I think they need more of that. Spurs mm. haven't got enough personality on the pitch. As much as Son is a good player, I don't see that personality on the pitch. I feel like the only person's really Harry Kane. And you even have doubts about Harry Kane sometimes as a personality. So I think getting into Madison, as you mentioned, Kwegu, that's exactly the type of player that I grew up Spurs will have. Van der Bart-like. Yeah, that's the type of player they have. Spurs always had that player where top teams would then look at him and be like, oh, okay, he's good enough to play for our team. Mm. And that's that's just the level Spurs are going to have to go back to. Excite their fans, because their fans have been suffering in the last couple of years in terms of entertainment. They built that stadium to play their boring boring (laughs) football ever. It's crazy. (laughs) So they can go back to that. And I actually think Spurs fans are going to, a lot of them have doubts, but I think they're going to be surprised, man. I actually genuinely think they're going to have an entertaining and and good season. uh, I've just got this weird feeling, and I really hope it doesn't happen. And, And in terms of the 10 thing, like for dominant teams, this sort of uh, you know um, uh, what's the word attacking eight. That's mm-hmm. a ten just shifted to the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah, ten yeah, just yeah, stay yeah. on that side yeah. at half space. So so Madison can do that, but I get what you mean. He mm-hmm. has that purity about him. I'm intrigued to see how he links up with Kane if Kane stays, because mm-hmm. there could be an element of him getting in each other's way a touch. Um, but if you get Andy's going to play the way he played at Celtic, then Kane's going to have to tweak the way that he plays a little bit. 26, I think he has got that character to go mm-hmm. and do it. His shot-creating actions um, the last couple of years and his general chance creation has been really, really strong yep. for years now. Um, but my uh, this horrible feeling I've got is that there will be a lot of hope for him and he'll get injured and they'll go, oh, we've got no other players mm. with similar personnel that can kind of help us out here. And because you're trying to move a team that's played a back three to probably a back four, that could really take the wind out of what are, what are a lot of sort of good vibes for mm-hmm. for Postacoglu and Tottenham actually bizarrely mm, yeah. after everything that's happened. So I, I hope I just hope he hits the ground running and stays fit um, because I think he could be really really important for them. Newcastle all over Twitter yesterday. I, all I did is I tweeted yesterday. Going, I saw that. Did you see that? <laughs> so I saw that last I, it's night. one of my phrases. Like I've said, he's good, but is he good? Yeah. I sort of had a joke about that, right? 
and I just tweeted, he's good, but is he good, about uh, Sandro Tonali. So here's a ripple effect uh, for Newcastle. The signing of Sandro Tonali is another step towards the Atletico Newcastle project that uh, we've been speaking about on the JLA channel for a long time now. So a common misconception of this transfer is that Tonali will be the DM within the team, which is wrong. He's going to be the left-sided centre midfielder because that's where he's best and also that's his preference. But the upside to this is that Newcastle will now have a midfield three capable of doing everything when going both ways with the ball, without the ball. Tonali created 12 big chances last season, but also averaged just under two tackles per 90. When Newcastle play narrow, it will make it very tough for opponents to play vertically. It may also open the door for Eddie Howe to play a 4-4-2 next season, which is obviously what Simeone was well known for. And the ripple of this is that uh, Isak and Wilson will be able to play together. Could also mean that Newcastle go for a striker this summer, another striker. And the reality is that it'll be a 4-3-3, but 4-4-2 may be an option that no one sees coming. Now, you don't have to agree with these ripple effects, guys. Mm -hmm. So... Do you agree with what's happening here? First of all, in terms of the sort of the tweak in, in formation mm. for Newcastle moving forward, could you see them playing two up top regularly? Well, you probably you asked that because they've got two great strikers, and I think next season is the season that Isak actually pops off and he becomes the striker that that they signed the striker that big clubs were linked with a couple of years ago before he he suffered from a different form and a few injuries. Um, but I don't see them going to a four four two. It just doesn't make sense in terms of the level of football they're going to be playing in terms of being outnumbered in midfield as well. Um, Tonali's a great signing. Fell off a little bit last season. It wasn't the same Tonali from when they won the Scudetto. He's, uh, but he means a lot to AC Milan. And that's the reason why Newcastle fans are so excited because he looked like a player that would be difficult to pry away to convince him to leave Milan and come to the North East. It takes some serious money and some serious convincing <laughs> as well. Um and yeah, he's not a DM. He can play. He can play the the left or right side of midfield. But he's not a player that transforms this Newcastle team and takes them to to the level that is unassailable or to the level where they're challenging for for league titles. They do need to still do more in that team to to kind of take them to that level. But he complements what they've got already there really well. And I'll be interested to hear what you guys say. Who plays in that midfield? Obviously, you've got Bruno Gimaraes, you've got Tonali, and then who? I, I I'll put Joe Willock. Mm. I'll put Joe Willett. I think the jewels, man. You know what I mean? I think uh, that's a good midfield in terms of Tonali. Okay, chance creation, like consistently. Maybe they haven't necessarily got that there with that three. Bruno's good in the in the first and second phases, I'll say. I'm, I wouldn't say he's a final third, like thread archie, like putting assists all the time and stuff. But he's a fantastic player. But I still think if Tonali comes in, he's probably going to still be the one getting the ball in the first phase and stuff. And Tonali, to people, some people are surprised if you if you actually look at him, he's a lot more industrious than people give him credit more for. More Gattuso than like... Yeah, than, you, 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 know yeah. what's, you know what's funny? Like when he was coming through, everyone was saying he's like the new Pirlo. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. it's just the hair. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he drinks a bit of wine on the side. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like he's got a bit of industry about him. So it is a very... But look, one thing we've seen about Eddie Howe, he wants to, anyone that comes to Newcastle, it's going to be a difficult game. You know, you're going to have to fight. I'm taking Joel Linton out of the team, personally. I think Joel Linton's good, but I'm putting Joe Willett. I prefer Joe Willett, personally, you know, because he's got that goal threat as well. Joe Willett can get you more goals, in my opinion. You know, what's than, so crazy? You're saying Joel, Joel, Joel Linton. Sorry. Joel Linton's a striker. You're saying that Joe Willett's got... Yeah, <laughs> the transformation of Joel Linton needs to be studied, one day. That, that needs, like, a, a, his own little video itself. But I think... A midfield of Joe Willock, Tonali and Gumerez is is good.
But I think where Newcastle actually needs strength is their wide areas. Mm. I'm not a fan of. I I think Almiron. Yeah, he was he was he was riding the whole Grealish. Yeah, we got you down. But now nah, it's like reality kicks in for me. I don't think he's good enough to be a, a, a in a team that are trying to potentially win a league and compete in the Champions League. And I think on the left wing as well. ASM and all that. I don't know, man. I'm not You've got really... a lot of left. Yeah, a lot of players who kind of want to play on that left side, like yeah. John Inter, ASM, uh, Isaac as well. I I don't um, doubt the sort of recruitment of Newcastle up until now, and I think you have to give them with Dan Ashworth, Eddie Howe. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt in terms of what they might be trying to to do in terms of bringing in Tonali. And also, I think what's w- worth remembering is. You know, it's not the end of the transfer window yet. So, like, uh, it's not like okay, that's it, it's done. It's Tonali, and that's it. That's it for them. But if it is, if it was just him, because there's been a lot of talk about sort of overspending, mm-hmm. which I I applaud that this conversation, right? Because it's not like they're short of they're not short of money. So the fact that they're saying oh they've overspent and that could be a bad thing, the reason for that is hopefully because of FFP restricting how much teams can spend and I absolutely love and applaud that and hope that is oh that is what that is which is great the thing i'm struggling with is the fact that like you say how many players you've got Anthony Gordon on the right hand side with um Almiron you've brought in another industrious midfielder you've got Joe Linton Willock so one of those is going to have to obviously miss out i i understand depth but like you say, in terms of somebody who might play on the left side, maybe he can play on the right side as well. But like, say he plays on the left side of that midfield three, you're taking out Joe Linton, who's been wonderful for them. And he's probably a player that you could have run with for a little mm. bit longer. And you've still not totally f- sorted out that right-hand side or you know maybe a new left-back to give you a different option there. Mm. So down the road, let's see where Newcastle are at. Because I think what's really difficult for Newcastle fans to kind of maybe get their head around is is that expectations are about to change. And when they change, you have to be able to... You've got to be winning every game. You've got to be able to break down every team. I think they're leaning on the idea of we're going to kind of make you quit mm-hmm. a, a lot of teams because of that work rate that they have. But I look at... Um, as a Champions League team, and again, what are the expectations for Newcastle? Where do they want to go in the Champions League? Is mm-hmm. it just... Are they just going for the ride this year, or like? And again, how is that going to affect their Premier League performances? Are they trying to get into the Champions League again? Because it was a surprise last year. But if they are trying to like truly level up, you know, he's a good player and a good mm. player to bring in. But if you're if that's taking up two thirds of your budget, and again, I'm, I've got no problem with him. But is he? It, was he the thing you needed the most? I'm I, not sure. I think Eddie Howe is in a tough position because you look at like other takeovers and you look at, let's say the Chelsea one, right? When Jose Mourinho came, obviously Roman Abramovich had taken over in 2003, 2004 season already brought in uh, loads of players and 13 players or something Mm -hmm. like that. But Jose could still come in as a new manager and be like, oh, let me see. I don't want this guy. I don't want this guy. This is who's coming in. Drogba's coming in. Peter Kudicini, thanks for getting us to semi-final. I'm bringing in Czech. It was easy for him because he's a new manager. He has no attachment to these players. Same thing with Man City. Yes, the Carlos Tevez City, they got into Champions League. I think that was, was that might have been under Mark Hughes, I believe it was. And then Mancini came in. Mm-hmm. And then Mancini has the opportunity of being, okay, David Silva, they can bring in all these players. He has no attachment to these players. Eddie Howe's in a position now where Joel Linton, for example, you've done brilliant for me. You were one of the catalysts to my change, but 
we need to move on as a club. And Tenali's the type of players that we need to be kind of like attracting or bringing mm. in. So teams look at us and or, or clubs look at us and be like, we're, we're serious now. So he's in a position where I actually think he has a difficult job of upsetting favourites. And also the fans kind of need to adjust their mentality as well. There's probably an attachment to loads of these players. They probably love Dan Byrne. I'm sure they I'm sure they absolutely love Dan Byrne, but yeah. I'm sorry, you need another left back. You know what I mean? Or, but you also don't want to lose all of that spirit yeah, that you've uh, built uh, as well. Uh, so it's so it's hard. hard. You're absolutely right. Hard. I wonder if, it, you know, what they've been so good off the ball, Newcastle. And maybe they are kind of sticking with that as a as a place to sort of um, refill and create create depth there, so that they can go at teams in the Champions League, mm. but also still have enough in the tank to. So, say you haven't played Joe Linton in that mm-hmm. game in midweek, you go and play him in the game at the weekend, and mm-hmm. you've still got that energy to play the same style. That might be the road that he's going to going down, but I think they need they obviously need more. They need yeah. more when that industrious mm. energy run. This is a Newcastle team that's going to be playing in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Any quality? Tonight is a quality he's player, quality, but he's yeah. he's got quality. I don't love him. I don't love him. Just the eye test for me. I don't love him. I, like he was good a couple of seasons ago. Mm. This season, I've watched him a few times, and yeah, seventy mil is the going rate for a midfielder of that kind of quality. But I don't know if he's what Newcastle need in terms of quality because you look at them, and I don't want to denigrate any of these players, but like when Eddie Howe took over, they were in the relegation mm. zone, and a lot of these players are still going to be starting for Newcastle next season. I was hearing Newcastle fans saying that when Longstaff goes out, we don't win games. You're Newcastle who yeah. now need to challenge the upper echelons of, pains, of the Premier League. It is growing pains, mm. and can be right to point out it's a tough job for Eddie Howe because the side that he took over and did such a good job is a different team to where they're at now, and it's going to be difficult for him to make that transition. And Tonali's an example of him making the transition. I just don't know if he's that guy. Yeah. yeah it's, it's that difficult it's, second album, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of yeah, like, yeah. everyone's going to play the same tracks. Go, well, yeah, but you're, you're probably a bit bored of the same <laughs> yeah, tracks. They yeah, might yeah, not be yeah, as... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah man, it's, that's it's, it's definitely a tough one. But I saw Joe Linton playing for Brazil. I don't know. It feels like I'm quicking on Joe Linton. In a <laughs> bit. I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. like Joe Linton. Yeah, but, but that's kind of why... playing for Brazil and I was like... Nah. No, you know yeah. that. Oh nah. mate, I think he earned that. You think? I think he earned that for sure. Yes. He's a Champions League no, no, footballer. No, got a team into the Champions I'm League. talking about he played terrible for them. All <laughs> oh, right, he was terrible. Oh, right. He didn't play oh, well in the game. No, nah, and All the Brazilian right. fans were like, "Yo, nah, this ain't it." You know what I mean? So I'm thinking about him in the Champions League for. Uh, no, no. Tonali, I wouldn't say Champions League proven, but you know he had a, you know he got to the he got to the semi finals. This year with with AC, I feel like that's just a little bit more of a a play that Newcastle need. Again, I, I think that's what I think I want to hold my horses on this one because I think say you have like five, you've got five people that you want or five positions you want to sort out, and this one not, might not be this might be like the fourth one in terms of the priority list, but it, but we're getting it now. Mm. So like, can they get can they fill up those other areas which I think they need to do? Yeah. But it, you know, if it's just him, then it it doesn't feel totally right. We've got to talk about Liverpool. Let's yeah. do this. Uh, Dominic Sobozlai and Alexis McAllister. So the signing of Sobozlai could see Darwin Nunez explode next season. Signing of Sobozlai and McAllister points towards Liverpool potentially moving to the three diamond three or three four three formation next season. Something made popular, of course, by Pep Guardiola, but derives from the teachings of Johan Cruyff of which Pep Guardiola played in that team anyway. Uh, so Buzz Light will likely play at the tip of the diamond, but still in a free role. With this being the case, there will be little work for Darwin Nunez to do in build-up and could mean that he thrives as a nine. I guess you could still pop him over to that left-hand side as well. Will the Harlem blueprint work for Nunez next season? Another ripple. Who's going to take penalties? So Buzz Light and McAllister did in the teams that they've come from. Um, 
So does this mean that Salah could miss out and could that affect your FPL team? <laughs> so many ripples here. This is my favourite ripple. This is my favourite ripple. Which one? Like just this, this whole topic, just because I think most of that's going to come to fruition. I feel like Darwin Nunes is set to pop next season. I really, really liked what I saw from him in terms of not obviously his conversion rate because that yeah. was that. I'm not going to go to FP Ref on this yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That left a lot to be desired. But in terms of the attributes that he brought and in terms of the spaces that he operated in as well, I think he's perfectly suited to Premier League football. And Liverpool have got incredible options on their forward line as well. They've got five players that would start for a lot of Premier League clubs. Um, and Luis Diaz is coming back from injury yeah. as well, which is yeah. a huge, huge plus. So Bosley is an interesting one because he's a player that I think he was there for pl- for teams to get. Liverpool were just the ones that pulled the trigger. Um, and he will pull the trigger in terms of shooting from out uh, from from distance. He's a serious, serious goal getter or somebody who wants to score goals. And I just like the way that they've built and it's been efficient. It's been clinical. It's been not messing around. There's not been speculation or rumours. It's a case of we're not in the Bellingham deal anymore. We're going to go and get the Bosley. We're going to go and get McAllister. And these are the players that other teams wanted, but Liverpool went and got. Um, they do need to maybe make one or two more signings but in terms of the, the start of 11 for next season they've addressed their biggest issue in terms of their midfield and I think they've brought in players that can bring out the best in other players they've brought in players that can bring out the best in Trent who's going to maybe change position they've brought in players that are going to bring out the best in Darwin Nunes who's part of this ripple and I think that Liverpool are very well set for next season in terms of going and challenging again yeah I think Newcastle um, sorry I think Liverpool will have a good season next year I think I think when you look at the what they brought in, as you mentioned, everyone said, listen, they need midfield, they need midfield, they need midfield. And they've gone and addressed that straight away, you know, bringing in two good players. McAllister, I'm a big fan of McAllister, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that's a good signing. Now, only thing I would say is, if that is the starting lineup in terms of McAllister and Shabazzlai, Fabinho, I mean, the, the questions about him was that he was being overrun. And I don't think that necessarily pr- brings him any more prote- protection in, in a way, you know what I mean? And he was pretty much drowning with Henderson, with Milners, with these guys. So when you bring in two guys who are a bit more offensive, maybe you're relying on Trent to be kind of get into that double pivot with him. But that is still, I think, a worry. And that's why they're, they're linked with like Lavia. And that's why they're linked. To, they were linked with Turan. But I think apparently that, that's, that that's cool? cooled down. Right. But the Lavia one seems to be what they're, they're, they're really after. So I understand if they get three centre midfielders, that is just massive, massively impressive, massively impressive. But a lot also rides on on Mo Salah as, as normal you expect him to get his goals as he does but last season look, we look at his numbers I think it was like 45 goals and assists but am I the only one that feels it was a little bit underwhelming yeah. something about him last season I think we've maybe got lost in just how good he's been for so long yeah. at, with the highlight reel too yeah. and I don't think there was a highlight reel this time and I think you see that with a lot of players like player bad because team did bad yeah. like, like I think Liverpool weren't as good as they were in the previous seasons his mm-hmm. numbers were his numbers were better than Sackham yeah, yeah his numbers were better than Rashford yeah, I yeah, believe yeah. it was you know what I mean so yeah. I feel like um, a lot right uh, Luis Diaz coming in is massive you know it's mm-hmm. massive for them but I am interested to see does he go with Dar- Darwin Nunes as the nine is he going to go with kind of like the Gakpo I, I feel like he really likes Gakpo and also Jota's back, back fit as well so that's a trusted man for 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 Klopp. A lot of options. Yeah, that's a trusted man. A new signing, and then you got Nunes, who kind of needs to find his way. So it's going to be interesting to see how that front three uh, connects. But I think a big thing for Liverpool though is the defense. I actually think if Liverpool don't have a good next season next year, it's because of the defense. I mean, look, Van Dijk, legend. 
go on say it. But you're looking, you're looking a bit finished now. Do you know what I mean? Let's no, be, no, come on, man. He's looking. He's oh. like Van Dyke is not looking like what Van Dyke was, and like I'm not even talking about like Van Dyke is no longer like top three defender. I'm, t- I'm talking about like he's starting to look like he might not even be a top ten uh, level centre back. No, no, not not top ten club. By the way, I yeah. mean like top ten in the Premier League in terms of if I go through centre half. So I'm like. He's a bit of a worry. Kanate's in and out. Mings above him. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wouldn't go that far. You know what I mean? But you're looking at like Kanate as well. He's in and out of injuries. Matip in and out of injuries. So Liverpool defensively, Robertson, people are having their little bit of question marks as well. And even if Liverpool do kind of switch their formation, I think they're going to need to get a left-sided centre-back if they're going to try and go with Trent in this role. But then Robertson has been so key to what Liverpool have done in their success. So Klopp has a few decisions to make, but I do think defensively, they're still going to need to improve. And that starts from the six in Fabinho. That starts with the two centre-halves. I like Konate, but I think he still he needs to kick on a little bit more. I, I boosted him to the to the heavens after the World Cup. I was like, yeah, he's Liverpool's best centre-half. He's yeah. And then from there, it was like, phew, yeah, he, yeah, just, yeah. he just collapsed. So him, he needs to improve. Alisson, you know what you're going to get from him. Trent, I love Trent. I've always loved Trent. But I just think from the six to the centre-halves and maybe Robertson, Liverpool, if they don't have a good season next year, I think that's going to be a key reason why. Yeah, they're not going to be short for goals, are they? No, no never. They're never good. Are Liverpool ever short of goals? No. I think you've touched on the right things here, guys. So I think I think injuries is a big part of this. You know, like, can you keep these guys fit is, is a big one. Fabinho's interesting, you know, obviously was awful. And I kind of, you know, I, I've certainly said, I, don't, I rarely say this in videos, but I, there was certainly a game where I was like, now you're, you feel you feel a bit done, which I think is always a dangerous thing mm. to kind of say. But I wonder if you have this three at the back. I'm looking at Robertson, as you say, again, sort of formation-wise, you're kind of struggling with him a little bit. But it might be one where you kind of go, you know, you talk about the elbow defence. This is like a severe elbow if you've got like Trent playing essentially as a defensive midfielder now. But maybe there's something where Fabinho could drop into centre-back a little bit at times when they haven't got the ball, you know, but... Matip, Gomez, as you say, injuries there. Canate, as you say, injuries there has been a problem. And then you need people to sort of hit the ground running. I think Darwin Nunez, as you say, a kind of a year on, there's no reason, there's no reason he could score 30 goals this season and then next season score 15. Yeah. I think he has that sort of yeah. hot and cold nature to him. You know, can he get on a good run? And also, I think the question I, I would put forward for Liverpool is, can you get 15 games into the season be in the top three, and I know what your starting eleven is. That's what I would like to see mm. with Liverpool. I think there's a, for, a lot for us to find out yeah. uh, about them because it's not going to be the Liverpool that we that used know. To, yeah. It's going to be different. And again, I think there could be flexibility there. Like Darwin Nunez, I generally don't really like him as a centre forward. I like him out on the left hand side where you can utilise that pace. But if you've got Sabozlai there and he doesn't have to be part of that hold up play, I saw him at, uh, at Ibrox against Rangers. His hold-up play, Darwin Nunez's hold-up. I saw him in the World Cup as well. His hold-up play was awful. Yeah. <laughs> like it was so bad. So, but on the left-hand side, it was like go, yeah. and he can you can get the best out of him. And he and he, I do love watching him, and I do want him to do well because he seems like I, I like him. They've got characters. They've got characters. I was yeah. watching the interviews of Bosley um, recently. Obviously, everyone knows about the Steve Gerrard tattoo that he's got, but he's an interesting character. And Leon Klopp is. <laughs> There's, there's analytics and there's manalytics and I think Klopp relies on his individuals as well. Klopp relies on the people to kind of... Sorry, what's manalytics? Just just relying on the individual <laughs> as opposed to That's like... amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love. <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. But he, he, 
he backs his his boys, he backs his team to to personalities to show through and then to carry them to some games sometimes. And I think with Darwin Nunes and with Sabozlai, they've got that. And I feel like he's building this squad in his image and rock and roll football will return. And I'm I'm very, very confident that this Liverpool side will give the top sides in this division problems, if not be one of those top sides in the division, because they've got the experience and know-how in the in the likes of Allison and Van Dyke and Trent and Robertson, who've been there before, and Henderson, obviously. But they've also got this kind of new, fresh blend of talent who are ready to explode. Yeah. They don't buy ready-made players. They buy players who go on to be world-class mm-hmm. superstars. I think so Bozlai can be that, and I reckon yeah. that Darwin Nunes can be that. Funny thing on Fabinho, if say Lavia comes in, which is a great signing, it's one where in terms of going and winning the league, there's a difficulty there because you've got the experienced dude and then you've got the guy. That is such a crucial role. Yeah. And defensively, you've got to have such great awareness there. So that's tricky for him. Um, but in terms of sort of, ne- again, next season for me feels like what I can easily see is... Man City not being as good as they've been this year, but still sort of trotting off to the title. And then Liverpool and Arsenal being good, but not kind of being enough. And mm. it being the year after that everyone kind of gets themselves... Well, Man City not being as good as they... Because this year, I don't think Man City were uh, the amazing best. So And they got 89 points. So. Well, they sort of gently pulled away. and yeah. I could, But I, I could see them... I could see a similar thing happening because mm. I think there's a lot more ingredients that make it make life harder for Arsenal, despite the, uh, the, the signings that we like, all of us. But... And, and Liverpool, I think there's so much change there that it could click and they could go. But it could also be one that needs that little bit of time uh, we have been chatting for a long time and I've absolutely loved it and we could probably do another hour but we're not going to do that so that question right at the start of the podcast I wanted to ask was what do you think is going to be out of the transfers that have occurred so far what do you see in your gut as the most impactful transfer um, from this window going into next season which one's going to um, pay dividends the most quick cool there's two things I was going to name one yeah, yeah name it, one has, <laughs> it, has, on. it, has it had to have one. happened it's, or it, yeah, is it like of the ones that we've had you know we've not yeah. got a here we go totally but yeah. you know they're, they're okay. okay so it's not going to necessarily affect where I think they're finishing the league table but in terms of what he does for that side I think James Madison will have a huge effect on Spurs and he wow. will he will bring back the vibe and that you'll see the reason why he was linked with all the biggest clubs previously because he just fits what they want and he fits that club, club perfectly so I'm going for James Madison just for his effect on Tottenham Hotspur not necessarily their effect on the league table though Ah. Uh. You know, one of the ones that I want to say hasn't actually happened. A bid has been put in, but it hasn't actually happened yet. But I'll give that a special mention in a second. I'm going to go with... I don't know if I should be biased, you know. That's the, that's the problem. No, well, what you, go I, we go. I, I go we go. So, but I'm going to go with Declan Rice. I'm going to go with Declan Rice to Arsenal. I think if you're looking at all the signings so far and you're looking at uh, needle movers, I think that is a potential needle moving signing from Arsenal. So I'm going to go Declan Rice. But I want to give a special shout out to if Andre Onana comes mm. to Manchester United, watch this space. <laughs> I like watch it. Watch this that space. Big Andre Onana comes. But yeah, Declan Rice for me. What about you? Do you know the one I keep looking at? I th- and this might, this might go wrong, but I think Sabozla could have a huge impact mm. because they have to change. And the big problem has been sort of there's that initial press and then you kind of get past that and there's there's problems. And I think all of those midfielders could, could come in and do a great job. But in terms of getting the best out of Salah, getting the best out of Nunez, mm. getting the best out of Trent, coming over to the right-hand side if you need to, coming over to like the dexterity that he has as a player, his ability to score goals, 
I really like him. Yeah. I really, really like him. And I think in terms of solving Liverpool and allowing them to go and thrive, I just my sort of shot in the dark is him right now. So yeah, he's the one that I think is going to I got one more special mention as well. He hasn't actually, it's not a signing, but it's a return. I actually think that Levi Colwell to Chelsea is huge. I rate him. So I, I think he's going to be the best centre-half in the Premier League like within the next couple of years. Mate, him, I, I, he's fantastic. Mate, I knew I liked you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he was at Huddersfield, I was yeah. like, this guy I love, since I, 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 I Honestly, I, I love the player and I think he's going to have a massive season for Chelsea this season and everyone's going to see levels. And that's why when we're talking about the Maguire, mate, you can't rest on your... Levi Colwell's coming for that, that that's England spot and you're yeah. just going to sit on the bench for Man United. It's crazy to me, but listen, Levi Colwell, Onana... <laughs> And Declan Rice. Yeah, that's my money. That's where my money is. Amazing stuff. Guys, absolute joy chatting to both of you. We've got to do this again. Have to has yeah. to be a part two. Uh Cam, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on FTBL as well. I also got a YouTube channel, Culture Cams as well, which I'm gonna start getting more active again on this summer. So make sure you guys follow me on all platforms. All platforms, TikTok as well culture cams with an S at the end so yeah there we go good man that needs to be done Quake. Uh you can find me on all platforms it's at Kweku underscore Afari it's K-W-E-K-U underscore Afari A-F-A-R-I um, like I mentioned I'm starting a YouTube channel so make sure you keep, keep your eyes an eye out. peeled for that or I'll be yeah putting out content like you guys trying to mm-hmm. trying to catch up with you boys so uh, yeah just keep your eyes peeled and uh, watch the space I'm concerned Easy, <laughs> yeah. uh, guys. Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter so that you can see when I retweet a link to Kweku's uh, channel when it drops. Okay, so there's another another one to, to get on top of. This has been the Ripple Effect. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Uh, the podcast. Uh, there's loads of sort of evergreen podcasts here. It's not really one that kind of dates when we talk about things because often we're looking into the future. So go check out the other podcasts. Uh, share it to a friend as well if you're feeling generous. And thank you for listening. See you next time.